Coming up on episode 244 of Wheel Bearings, it's just Nicole and Sam with the Mazda CX-9, the Infiniti QX55, Toyota 4Runner, the Lincoln Star Concept, the new BMW 7 Series, the Jeep Grand Wagoneer 4xe, the Lexus RZ450, and the Subaru Solterra. All that and more coming up next. Did you know you can support Wheel Bearings directly? Head to patreon.com slash wheelbearingsmedia and you can become a patron today. Your contributions will help fund the platforms and tools we use to bring the podcast to you. And exclusives and improvements are already on the way thanks to your generosity. So if you want to be part of an automotive podcast like no other, head to patreon.com slash wheelbearingsmedia. This is episode 244 of Wheel Bearings. I'm Sam Abu-Al-Samad from Guidehouse Insights. And I am Nicole Wakelin, and I'm back. And I'm from, uh, let's go, uh, well, let's just go Autobytel, CNET, and who else to throw one more? Kelly Blue Book. All right. That that makes up for the fact that Robbie is not here this week. He's uh, right. lazing on a beach in, in uh, Hawaii. So we uh, hate him now. Yes, we, we're, we're kicking hate him off the show. Yeah, that's it. Forget it. <laughs> Unless he decides to take us with take take us with him next time. Yeah, we could have recorded a live episode from the beach. You wouldn't, that be, wouldn't that be awesome? That would be amazing. <laughs> with the with the waves crashing crashing on the shore in the background. Yeah, I could just put our toes in the water, just make sure we don't get electrocuted. I'm sure we can make this happen. Okay. I, I miss Hawaii. I gotta go I love back there. Hawaii. I know. It's, it's definitely nicer than New Hampshire in April. Yeah. Although it was pretty beautiful here this weekend. It was eighty two yesterday, the sun was shining, got a lot of yard work done. It's a whopping, I'm looking at my watch, it is 45 degrees here right now. Um, so it's a bit on the chilly side, but things are turning green finally, and there's like little blooms on all the trees. Whatever the white trees are, there's these flowering trees that have little white, teeny little white flowers, and every single one in the entire neighborhood went poof in the last <laughs> two days. So it looks pretty. <laughs> nice. All right. What have you been driving in your absence? In my absence, I've had two vehicles. The vehicle I had first, I'll talk about first. I had the 2022 Toyota 4Runner which I really want to love because it looks cool and it's like burly and it's an SUV and you can do stuff and you can go off-roading and you can run through snowbanks and you can load it full of stuff. And Hey, if they put a roof rack on top, which I will talk about, you can put stuff on your roof. It's sort of, and it's, it's sort of like a rough and rugged SUV. If there's nothing refined, I mean, really <laughs> there is nothing refined about this. It is, $45,000 as mine was equipped. I think the extras were probably about four grand on there. So it was probably about 40, 41,000, I think, before you added the little bits and pieces. Um, 370 horsepower V6, 278 pound feet of torque. It can get out of its own way. It has, you know, it's, it's fine to drive. It has plenty of power. Um, what is not fine is the comfort and the road noise. Honest to God, that thing is loud. And they had a roof rack and I'm, I didn't see it. Like I literally looked like, is this listed somewhere on my Monroney? Like, what is this roof rack? It's got to be a part of some package that is, you know, officially a Toyota thing, but I don't see that specifically listed, but it came with it. So it's got to be Toyota's. It created an ungodly amount of wind noise when you got to about 45, 50 miles an hour. So as soon as you hit the highway, the resonance in the car and the wind noise, it was terrible. And like everybody noticed it. My husband noticed it. My daughter noticed it. I took my brother-in-law and his wife out to dinner. They're like, wow, this car is really loud. Like it was noticeable. So, you know, refined, it is not. Now it would have been better without the roof rack. I mean, that was really 95% of the problem, but still, you can still hear the tires. You can hear the road. Like it is not a quiet, it's not quiet. It's like 
bouncy, jouncy, and I'm thinking of Tigger, bouncy, pouncy, bouncy, fun, fun, but not without the fun, 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 fun. Um, I just, I want to like the forerunner because I feel like people are like, yeah, forerunner. And I'm like, oh, can we update this a little bit? Just a little. Just a little, just a little skosh of an update. Yeah. Yeah. A little bit of uh, suspension refinement, a little, little uh, suspension just a tuning. Tiny little bit of this. So, my big test case for all the vehicles is the, is it the Sullivan Tunnel? It's a tunnel as you're coming out of Boston's airport. You're coming out of Logan Airport. You have to go through this tunnel, really long tunnel, really horrific road surface. There's parts where the left lane and the right lane aren't the same level. There's parts where the pavement has like giant chunks missing out of it. There are seams in the pavement. I Sounds like a typical pavement. Michigan road. Yeah, exactly. It's been paved like at 50 different times. So there's 50 different types of pavement. So if a car doesn't have a good suspension system, this is the test case. And going through that, it was one of those, it was so rough and so bouncy that I actually felt myself easing up on the gas. Cause I'm like, this is actually going to toss me too far left and right. As I'm driving, like you lose a little, your control isn't good enough. And you're in this narrow little tunnel with other cars next to you. And you get that you know, you always have more room in a tunnel than you think you do, but you really don't feel like it when you're driving this and the road is crummy. Like you could feel that it just, it is not refined. And I guess if you're going to just take it from your driveway to the dirt, who the heck cares? But if you're going to drive it on the road, not my favorite, Sam, not my favorite. <laughs> well, <laughs> uh, I was just, as you were talking, I pulled it up on the, uh, the Toyota website, the building price site. It looks yes. like that roof rack is actually standard across the board. Is like, it really? Even, even on the base SR5 model. Oh, people take that off. Oh my gosh, it's terrible. Is that really standard? I assume. Yeah, it's I mean, I'm looking at the base Martin model. Had to put it together. Oh my. Thirty-seven thousand dollars. It's got the roof rack on it. Oh, the now there there are which, which trim do you have? I have. Wait, double checking here. I have. Sorry, Monroney. Um, wait a minute. Here we go. It was. The, it says like Toyota Forerunner. Blah blah blah. Four by four trail. Trail is all it says. Trail special edition. It must be the trail special edition. It had the like the TRD, um, like the big TRD skid plate on the front, the front yeah. skid plate, the the you know TRD Pro exhaust, running boards, and something called Keep It Wild Savings, which I know is not a feature. It's just a discount. <laughs> Keep It Wild Savings. Um, yeah, premium well, audio, that kind well, of thing. Yeah, the, both the Trail Special Edition and the TRD Pro have different roof racks on them. Um, the, so the all the other models just have a, a standard, you know, just the like straight root rails that run along the the length of the okay. roof. Okay. Um, the trail has got a roof rack that's like a cage on the yeah, top. Yeah, that's what this one was. It was okay. like a cage, which is why I'm like, this can't be standard. That's, yeah, that's mine just is the rails. It's so like a loud. whole. It's this whole rack thing. Don't put that on there. I don't. I mean, it looks cool. Like, and in fact, it was funny because it made it really easy to find it in a parking lot. Like, you look over this you know, SUVs, you're like, you're going to do some overlanding. You know, it might be useful to you. Yeah. But mm. if you're an everyday and you plan to even remotely drive this on the highway, even once in your whole life, don't the roof rack, it, this, this rack, not cool. It, it is really, really loud. Okay. And is that even with the windows closed and yeah, it was, the windows are fully closed. So we had the windows completely closed and when you're just driving around town, it is like 45 uh, ish, maybe 50 where that sound, like you don't hear it just driving around town. You don't hear it at low speeds, but as soon as you reach, like, as you start to get into those highway speeds, the way the wind cuts through and just the resonance of that extra chunk of metal being on your roof 
you hear it. It is terrible. And it wasn't like it was this horrible, like horrible, windy day. Every single time I got up to highway speeds, I noticed this. So it's something about that, that rack on this car or this SUV just thumbs down. Yeah. Yeah. I, I can, I can definitely see. Yeah. So, oh, it, this is a, uh, I'm looking at the details. It's a Yakima Load Warrior cargo basket. That okay. They put on there. That's that's what it is. So yeah, I mean this this is really designed more you know for people that are doing more off roading, overlanding with a forerunner. I think if if you're using it as a daily driver, and really, why are you using something like this as a daily driver anyway? Right. But that's well, and, but the, the thing is, it looks really cool. Like yeah, I yeah. just googled it. You're right. That's what that's the kind of thing yeah, that was there. And, and so Yakima, it looks awesome. And you think it's like if you're looking at buying this, you're like, oh, that looks really cool. I might use that the one time I go off road. Yeah, but the other nine thousand times you just drive this. You're going to wish you didn't have that on your roof. Yeah. Um, I mean, Yakima is a known brand. They make a lot of yeah. good accessories for, uh, for especially trucks and SUVs. I know Ford offers a lot of Yakima stuff as accessories for the Bronco mm-hmm. and Bronco Sport. Um, and I would assume, because <clears throat> it looks like, you know, this still has the standard roof rails, you know, and then the cargo basket. This is, you could probably remove it. So probably. if you're not using it, you I would, yeah, you're probably right. You probably want to take it off. Like, and take just, it off. Just, just put it on those it. times when you actually need it. Yeah. Because otherwise, it's, it's, it's awful. So you have to be prepared to either deal with the noise or, you know, take it off of the roof if you're not using it all the time. And if you're someone who's like, oh, well, I, you know, it's like a 50 50, I may or may not. Well, you decide if you want the noise or if you want to be bothered with removing it. But it definitely, it definitely makes for a loud driving experience. Sounds like it. Yeah. But even so, it sounds like even even without you know aside from that, you know, it's yes. the the ride quality sounds like it's the ride really bad. quality and it's 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 yeah, it's it you know, this is an off-road and the trim I have that the trail trim. It is the off-road trim of this. It's probably the least refined, I guess Sam, I would say of all of them probably, but it is so unrefined that it is it is not enjoyable to drive at all like, at highway speeds. And, you know, even just driving around town, it's perfectly adequate. It's not like you lose control just driving down the road or something or it's awful, but it's, it feels like you should be in the dirt. It feels like this car desperately wants to be in the dirt. It wants to be off pavement. It wants to be someplace where there is mud and muck, which is great and which is super fun. And I love doing that, but it is, there's no balance there. Like when you take it on the road, when you're just doing a highway drive, um, when you're just tooling around town it still has that sort of awkward bounciness, that sort of unwieldiness that you get, and it's something that's off-road capable. Um, so if that's all you're looking for, if you're really focused on the off-road capability, if you really are going to be someone who goes out there every weekend, and, and that is your 100% your focus, and you're probably not going to be bothered, and you're probably going to love it off-road. But if you, this is like someone who, you know, five days a week, you're going to the office once every month, once every couple months, or even just on a weekend here and there, you're going to use that for off-road you're, you're taking a pretty hefty sacrifice for those rare times when you do go off-road. So I, I think it, it definitely leans very heavily to wanting to be in the dirt and to being not well-mannered or smooth or, you know, I'm picking on it for not being refined. I, refined makes me think, you know, sound like I'm talking about, it, I expect it to be a luxury car. I don't, but it's, it's, it's definitely not a, like a long distance highway drive to get to where you're going off-road. Oi, that would not be fun. Yeah. Yeah, it sounds like there's there's a you know for something like that there's a lot better options, you know, <clears throat> that have you know 
similar or better off-road capability, uh, but you know, are also a lot easier to live with on-road. That's the thing. It's like, the, it, it's not as if there's only one vehicle that will do this kind of thing. There's a lot that will take you off-road and take you off-road pretty well that also when you take them on road, you think, okay, this is totally fine to go to the office. You know, it's totally fine for tooling around town. This is totally fine at 65 on the highway that are still more than capable of getting you most of the places you want to go when you're off-roading. Um, you know, not hardcore off-roaders, but that's a different animal altogether. But for the the casual, the here and there, the sometimes the weekends, there's a lot of cars that do it better. So I think that's, if there weren't cars that did it better, I think it would be less bothersome to me, but it's like, wow, there's so many, there's options out there, people, you know? Yeah. And, and how much did, uh, what was the, the bottom line price on the, the bottom the, line was or, 45 and change. So, yeah, I mean, it's not, you know, ba- base prices looking at this, you know, base prices compared to some of the options, like especially Jeeps, Jeeps have, you know, climbed up in price quite a bit in recent years. Yeah. Um, you know, it's, it's a little more affordable than, you know, than some of those. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, you know, that's, that's still a lot of money for something that is going to be really uncomfortable to drive most of the time. That's it. It's, you know, you're, you're not getting like, if you were paying, if you're paying cheap car prices, I don't even know what I consider really cheap. If I was getting some cheap little, you know, crossover or something and the ride was, ugh, but it let me go in the dirt, but I was going to beat it up. Okay, fine. I'm, I'm getting what I'm paying for really like for $45,000. You, you want the car to, you want to be able to live with it, you yeah. know? And I feel like it's pushing it. It just needs, it needs an update. It feels desperately like it needs. Yeah. Well, this, this current generation of the forerunner came out in 2009. You know, yeah. And even then, you know, it was the, like the suspension, you know, was not the most state of the art that you could get on a, on an S on a midsize SUV. So. Right. And I think that's it. I think it's just, it's, Maybe it's feeling its age, you know, and the, the more time that goes by and the more other OEMs are refining their comparable products, the more this feels less and less acceptable, I guess. Yeah. You know? All right. Cool. What, uh, what else did you have? Well, the next car I had was vastly different. Um, I had the 2022 Infiniti QX55 in the sensory trim, mm. um, all-wheel drive. This has a two-liter turbo turbo turbocharged engine, 268 horsepower, 280 pound feet of torque. Um, it's like small. I'm going to call it a crossover. Um, I don't know what they, I think they had a funny word. Didn't they call this something fancy? Like a, they had a weird, yeah, they, they, they had, had some stick. phrase for it. Um, yeah. you know, it's, it's, it's the sort of coupish version of the QX 50. You know, you take yes. a QX 50 and you slice off the, the back part of the roof behind the, the C pillar. And, exactly. and now you have a QX 55. And now you have a QX55. Um, it does have the neatest little, I love little design things that are completely unnecessary, but fun. So when you open the tailgate, you know how normally in tailgates, you have to put your hand under somewhere. There's a little pad that you push or something. This one, it's like in the infinity logo, there's a little button that you push and it pops open. Oh, is that where it is? I could yes, not find it when I drove one a few months back. It's it's in like, it's a little trying, it's like a triangular piece. It's like, it literally is a button that just, you know, for your finger to press. It's not even like all your finger yeah. hand goes there, a little button in there. Um, Hyundai yeah, did that first a few years back on the Sonata. It, did within, they? Yeah. Within the, within the, the Hyundai logo on the trunk of the Sonata. Yeah. Um, they, uh, they did that, you know, and it was, not at all a visible switch. The, basically, the one segment of the Hyundai logo, I think it was the lower segment, was um, like a, a soft 
touch, you press okay. it, and the switch was behind it. And you press that, and the trunk would pop open. Yeah, so this is another kind of dealio. They sort of, like, tucked it in there. So it's kind of neat. I thought it was kind of fun. Um, I like this. I mean, it's not – it's an Infinity, so this is a luxury car. This is luxury pricing. The one I had as equipped, it was $60,495. So it's not – inexpensive. And I want to say the base on this one um, was 57. So they put, you know, maybe $3,000 worth of extra goodies. There was a lighting package on there. I got fancy paint. Um, There was a cargo package on there and there's a hitch. They actually call it a lifestyle hitch. I just got that (laughs) lifestyle hitch. Um, Does that that mean that it's, it's really meant more for like hitch mounted bike racks than for actually towing a trailer? I'm feeling like probably because you know what? I don't have the tone rating at my fingertips, but I can imagine that this has, this is not going to be what you're going to tow your horse trailer with. No, (laughs) no, no, no. Definitely. Absolutely not towing any horse trailer. Lifestyle stuff. Um, But I, you know, I like this. It's weird because I feel like some people are not keen on Infinity. They, you know, that it hasn't, some things haven't kept up. (coughs) Excuse me, guys. Um, Some things haven't kept up, but I actually like infinity products. And I like this one. I think it's a good vehicle. I think it's a little high on the price side, but the interior is beautiful. And a lot of what you're, you know, a lot of a luxury car is that makes it feel luxury is how it looks and how it feels. You know, the passenger comfort level that are you creating that experience inside the car? And it does. And like this one has, um, they're like a darkish red. They're not really burgundy, but it has like red leather seats and they're very, you know, they're sort of bolstered and they really hold you in. Um, it looks attractive. It's very, very quiet. Even on the highway, it's extremely quiet. Um, the ride is extremely smooth past the test coming from Logan airport, like to go from the forerunner to this, like within the course through, of the, through the days, tunnel, through the tunnel. I was like, I don't have to ease up on the gas at all. I'm just going, uh, very, very composed. And you don't, you, not only do you not feel those road imperfections, you don't hear them because they're two different things. Sometimes the ride is smooth, but you sort of like you hear that rattle. You can almost hear that your tires are bouncing. You can hear that parts of the car that maybe isn't the passenger car, but you're, there's bouncing. You don't hear or feel anything, which I think is a good mark for a luxury car. It's, you shouldn't hear or feel that stuff. That's what you're paying for to feel like you're riding in a beautiful little luxury vehicle. Um, it has a good range of you know driver assistance features. They have um, pro pilot assist, which is the sort of intelligent cruise control slash lane keep slash drives for you, but not quite situation that infinity has uh, I, I overall i like this and it, it you know it's a nice car to drive it's a good size if you're looking for something compact if you really need cargo room it's way too small you know it doesn't have a huge cargo area it's that cargo light kind of car you know you're not packing for your family of four for an entire weekend you know going camping or something but if you need to throw all your luggage in there to get to the airport you can do that if you need to throw stuff in for a project home you can do that a day shopping or venturing or the kids stuff that you're throwing in the back of the car, you can do that. So it's this night. I think it's like it's a nice little crossover and you don't see a ton of them. It was all new for, was it all new for 22 or is it all new for 21? It was not uh, 21. Is it, so 21? It, it was, it was launched in the fall of 2020. And I know it was like right in the middle of pandemic. Crazy yeah. Sending yeah. Them out so I think it came out as a 21, like a, a mid it, or late 21 model. Okay. So it's, you know, it's, so it's relatively, 
it is updated. You know, it's not like you're looking at something that hasn't been refreshed in five years or in the case of other cars, when we figure out 12 on the poor forerunner. But so I like the infinity, but I, I am overall, I like infinity vehicles. So it's no surprise to me really that I like this. It isn't a super aggressive powertrain. Is it super, it isn't super over the top in its luxury, but it, it, it's a nice balance. You know, it's well-mannered. It delivers some luxury. It has nice audio. It has nice seats. It has a nice ride. It looks kind of sleek with that little coupe chopped off the back kind of look. Mm -hmm. So it sort of checks a lot of boxes. It's not excelling at one, but it does all these things quite nicely and quite well. So for 60,000, I mean, the pricing is a little on the high side. You can probably get other comparable-ish things, but it becomes down almost to a matter of style. Like when you're buying luxury cars, do you like how it looks and feels? And does it make you feel right behind the wheel? Does it fit your personal like feelings about what a luxury car should be? If it does, this is a great choice. If it doesn't go to the next guy, but I think this is a solid choice. Yeah. So um, in the owner's manual for the QX 55, the section uh, that starts off with towing a trailer uh, has one line. Do not tow a trailer with your vehicle. <laughs> <laughs> So it is just for bikes. It literally says lifestyle hitch. So I'm like, what the heck? The lifestyle receiver cannot be used for towing a trailer. Only use the lifestyle receiver for receiver mounted accessories that meet the below requirements. Maximum allowable load is 300 pounds, including the weight of the installed accessory carrier. God, I think you like the. Like if the bike rack, some bike racks can, I feel like you barely put a bike on there. So yeah, you, well, I mean, bike. You, you, you probably, you, you probably put a bike, you know, a bike rack. One of those bike know, racks that holds like two or three bikes on a little yeah. fold out arm thing. You could yeah. probably, you know, if you could see me, I'm trying to demonstrate like Sam has no idea what I'm talking about. <laughs> no, no, actually, I, I actually have one of those racks in my garage uh, on one of our previous cars. It had a, a a hitch on there that I put on there expressly for that purpose of yeah. uh, when the kids were younger, you know, it was such a pain to use the, those racks that you had to strap onto the back of the oh, car. Oh, we had one of those. So it was I, awful. I one of those receiver, um, you know, the, the tow hitch racks, yeah. which was so much nicer. And I still have the yeah. rack, even though it, I, we don't have a, a hitch, um, a, a receiver hitch on the, uh, on the, the car anymore. We still have a rack from our um, from our old Jeep that we have, but it's this cool thing. It's like a rack that folds down and lets you put stuff in it, and then it folds up flat. Yeah, you, don't, so you can. But so it was really cool. But we got that. We used to. Oh my god, we'd load that thing full of stuff. Those little racks are great if you don't actually want to tow a trailer. There's a million little racks yeah. for bikes and sort of random accessories you can stick on the back of a vehicle. They're awesome. Or you know, I mean, if you if you have mobility issues and you use one of those scooters uh, yep. or a wheelchair, things like that, you can you can get things that'll go on the back there. You can yeah. <clears throat> and put that on there, or you know, load some coolers or you know, extra cargo. And in fact, you know, um, you know, if you're not going off road, that's actually probably a, a better way than putting a, a rooftop carrier. You know, it's yeah. going to be more. A little, going to be less aerodynamic disruption yes uh putting it on yeah no, you know it's funny you see that because we have this our little rack in the back we have this um it, you know of course it's low it's coming out from you know the the hitch and it but we had a thing we put on there that was maybe two or three feet tall and it was this bulky like mess of stuff that we'd put there and you never the only thing we ever had to watch out for was there was a little note Russ would stick on the dashboard to like remember that you're longer than you think you are right now yeah. like, yeah. the next couple feet behind you <laughs> But like, as far as like noise or anything, you never noticed the noise. You never even really noticed the weight of it. I mean, mm-hmm. it wasn't a huge amount of weight, but not a little weight to the vehicle, but that was great. And you never heard it. You know, you didn't hear that you had stuff and we've had racks we put on top, just random bags and stuff. And you do generally 
hear that. If you do the ones on the back, you don't hear them. Just put a little note in your dashboard so you don't back into something thinking that you're two feet shorter than you are now. <laughs> yep. What did you think of the uh, the engine? Um, have you driven Infinities with the, the variable compression four-cylinder turbo before? I believe I have. Um, well, I've driven this before, so this okay. isn't the first time I've driven this. But I, I'm fine with the engine. I mean, it's – let me double check. So it was the 268 horsepower. This isn't a huge vehicle. 268 horsepower is pretty competent to move it along. Do I feel like it's this super aggressive – world's shattering earth shattering engine no but i was i felt like it was fine i think it worked well for the qx55 what do you think sam are you not a fan no i i like it um you know in terms of its performance it's it's more than adequate it's got got plenty of power plenty of torque it's uh, it's quite responsive um the i think the only issue i've had with it is you know the the fuel economy is improvement yeah. is, is okay. You know, I mean, you pick up a couple of miles per gallon compared to uh, what you would get with a V6 in there, but it's not, you know, it, it's, it's not earth shattering in terms. It's of not great. Well, this one, I, cause I have the Monroney in my hand, it gets 22 city, 28 highway for 25 combined, 25 yeah. combined that's, for a car this small. And it's, you know, and that, it, that's not, it's not horrible, but it's not really great either. Yeah. You know? And it's in the same ballpark as what you'll get with, you know, most other um, vehicles of this size with a two liter turbo, you know, 250 to 270 horsepower range, you know, it, they'll, they'll mostly get, you know, in that mid twenties range for fuel economy, yeah. which is, you know, it's okay. If you're in California, like I was earlier this week oh, and, you know, gas is six bucks a gallon, um, you know, you might want to rethink that a little bit. You might want to go yeah. with something a little more, something with a plug probably. But, yeah, uh, that's the thing. If you get something with a plug, especially where gas prices are high. Um, I just like the idea of getting something with a plug because I feel like it gets you to try something. Like we're all really used to, you know, gas powered cars, whatever. You don't think twice about them, you know, mm -hmm. when they just have a traditional gas engine. But even just moving to a hybrid or a plug-in hybrid requires a little bit of a mindset change if you haven't done it. And I think like you and I, Sam, because this is what we do for a living, those are no big deal, whatevs. But for a lot of people, they're still a big switch. And I think going and getting something with a plug kind of teaches you what you, how much you can save on gas. Like there's a, there's an environmental impact, but there is a cost savings too to that, you know, and whether gas is six bucks a gallon or, or here it's about four bucks a gallon, I think right now, or even when it gets down, if it ever does again, let's all hope to something less, you're still paying so much less for the electric power and it's, you know, and you're helping the environment. I think it's, in, I, I think it's worth people investigating going that route to see just like consider making a change. Consider that. Give it a try. Come forward with us into the future and try <laughs> something with a plug or at least a hybrid. Well, we'll, we'll be talking a lot more about cars with plugs uh, a little no. bit later on. But uh, so it sound, sounds like you, you mostly like the QX55. I did. I like it. I, overall, I like it. I, I think the pricing might be a skosh on the high side for what you get, but I do like the QX55 and it would be something that I'd recommend for someone looking for a uh, like a luxurious, responsive crossover. Um, it's yeah, I'm, I'm thumbs up for the QX55. And one one other thing to note, I, I can't remember if you mentioned the QX55. You know that pricing QX55, unlike the QX50, which you can get with front wheel drive or all wheel drive. QX55 is all wheel drive only. There's yes. no there's no front drive version of it. Right. So, so that's what, so you're getting so that 60 yeah. grand is an all wheel drive vehicle. So yeah. you know you're you're which adds a couple thousand depending on the OEM you're talking about. So you know. 
take your, you know, which I guess is a boon for me here in New Hampshire. Cause I'm always going to buy all wheel drive, but I guess if you do live in California, you might be paying for something you don't really need, but we'll see. Yep. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores led by Walmart and target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates. that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Mike Rowe here with a few thoughts on my favorite sweatshirt, a classic zip-up hoodie that used to be navy blue but has since faded to what the fashionistas call a distressed indigo. It's 13 years old, soft as a flannel bathrobe, and after a few hundred dirty jobs, demonstrably and undeniably indestructible. This is the kind of sweatshirt girlfriends like to permanently borrow, but I've held on to this one because I got it from American Giant. American Giant makes all their stuff right here in the USA so they can control every link in their own supply chain. That matters because when you buy American Giant, you not only get great quality, you create jobs for people in factory towns all over the country. No pressure, but if you give a damn about the business of making things in America, you got to support the companies who are doing it right. Go to American-Giant.com slash Mike to get 20% off your first order. That's American-Giant.com slash Mike. All right. So I had um, a, a substitute vehicle. I was originally scheduled to have um, the Toyota Corolla Cross. So I haven't actually driven the Corolla Cross yet. Uh, but I had the Mazda CX-9 uh, Signature, which I've driven before. And, you know, so this is this is Mazda's largest vehicle, which is, you know, from by Mazda standards, it's a fairly large vehicle. Yeah. But, you know, by the standards of the general market, it's on the smaller side for a three-row crossover. Um, you know, it's... It's a little bit smaller than something like the uh, Hyundai Palisade, Kia Telluride, uh, you know, even uh, Toyota Highlander class, um, which means that it's um, the back seat is a little bit smaller than what you'll find in a lot of the competitors. Um, so if you really need to use the back seat a lot regularly, um, especially you know for older kids, um, you know, the, you know, might be teenagers. They're probably not going to be real thrilled to be in that third row. Um, but um, other than that, you know, I mean, I really, you know, I, I generally really like this thing. Uh, you know, I think it's, it, it's, um, it's, I think it's one of the most, one of the best looking vehicles in the segment. You know, it's, you know, like other current generation Mazdas, uh, you know, it's got that same kind of um, design language to it, uh, you know, which is fairly sleek. Uh, sophisticated, um, not cluttered with a lot of extraneous details in the design. Um, the the signature, uh, which is the the top level trim uh, that I was driving, uh, is uh, it's got you know a little bit different grill to it than the, some of the the other trim levels. You know, so it's signature, you know, it's basically fully loaded. Um, it's the the grill's got a titanium metallic finish, uh, Napa leather trim seats on the inside. Uh, comes also comes second uh, standard with second row captain's chairs with a center console uh, instead of a bench seat, uh, so it's it's a six seater technically, um, 
all the CX-9s have uh, the same 2.5-liter uh, turbocharged four-cylinder engine, um, which you can also get uh, variations of this engine in a number of other Mazda vehicles now, like the, the CX-30 and the CX-3 uh, and also the CX-5. Um, 250 horsepower, 320 foot-pounds of torque. It's got plenty of <clears throat> plenty of performance. Uh, you know, it, it feels good, sounds good. Uh, you know, nothing nothing to complain about from a performance perspective. The one area where I, you know, getting back to the question of fuel economy, mm-hmm. uh, you know, it's rated at 20 miles per gallon city, 26 highway, 23 combined. Ouch! I I I got. Uh, just shy of 20, like about 19.8 over the week of driving it, uh, which, you know, I wasn't driving it. I don't think I was driving it especially aggressively, uh, <laughs> no more so than I usually do. And I usually get pretty close to the label values um, it, for for my driving. And, you know, it was, it was, not, it was not particularly cold when I had it. Um, so the, the fuel economy was a little, little on the disappointing side, especially considering this is one of the smaller vehicles in the segment. One thing, you know, Mazda is still using a six speed automatic transmission. Um, they have not, um, they have not gone up to a seven or eight or nine speed yet. Um, and so that surprises me, the fact that, I mean, when you're saying that because they're so known for their whole driving dynamics and Mm -hmm. you would think that they would have, I I didn't really you know. From from a driving dynamics perspective, I think the six speed actually works really well because yeah. uh, it's not constantly shifting. Uh, you know, it's it's more predictable. You know, that is one of the risks you get into when you start to get into these transmissions with more gears. Yeah. Is sometimes you'll feel it shifting at <laughs> surprising That's times. True. That's true. Uh, you know, so uh, it's you know it. it Having a six-speed is a little more consistent. So from a driving dynamics perspective, it works well. Um, It's just not necessarily great for fuel economy. So there's that. Um, The interior, like all contemporary Mazdas, really, really nice first-class interior, really nice materials. Like I said, that Napa leather seating, all the the dashboard, the door panels, everything that you see and touch, you know, is covered in nice soft-touch materials, Um, you know. The one I think for the from an interior perspective, the one downside that that some people will, in fact, probably a lot of people will complain about, is the absence of the touchscreen. Yeah, it has the, the rotary <laughs> controller on the the console. Um, you know, I'm fine with it. You know, once you get used to it, it you know, it works works pretty well. Uh, supports both CarPlay and Android Auto, um, but you know, some people prefer touchscreen. And that's fine. Um, then a Mazda is probably not going to be for you if if that's your choice. Um, so the 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 CX nine starts um, for the Sport, which is the base model, at thirty five six thirty uh, for front wheel drive. Um, the Signature, which is all wheel drive only, as I said, it's um, pretty much loaded. I don't think there's any real options available on there. Uh, it goes for forty-seven two ten plus a twelve twenty-five um, delivery charge. So grand total on the one I drove was forty-eight thousand eight hundred and thirty dollars. Mm. Um, you know, for that price point, you can also get you know a really nicely loaded Telluride or Palisade, um, you know, or you know some other options. 
it's a little harder to recommend this one now than it would have been, you know, say three or four years ago, five years ago when it first came out. Yeah. You know, and this, you know, this generation of CX-9 is reaching the end of its model cycle. Uh, I would expect, you know, we'll see a replacement for this in the next 18 months, probably. Um, yeah. And, you know, maybe at that point, um, Mazda might, you know, offer a hybridized version, you know, at least a mild hybrid version on there. Yeah. Um, they're starting to launch mild hybrids in, in Europe. Um, and I think we'll be seeing them coming to the U.S. market before long. Uh, so it should have better fuel economy. Um, I expect that, you know, it might have a little bit more room in the next generation, uh, especially that third row. Um, but, you know, if you're if you're looking for something now that, you know, looks a little different from everything else that's out there, um, you know, you, you don't you don't want to have this and be driving the same thing as everybody else. Um, yeah. You know, that looks that looks clean and sophisticated um, and has a really, really nice interior. You know, this, I'd say it's still worth taking a look at. Yeah. I like the CX nine. I would say the same thing you do that. That third row is really snug. It is, it is truly the, okay, we just need to fit you guys in here and go five blocks and it's pouring rain. So we're not walking kind of situation. Yeah. Like it's really, it's tight. Like even for teenagers, they're going to be like, Oh man, who gets to sit in the back? You know, it's, it's snug. It's there, but it's snug. But I do think that Mazda does truly beautiful interiors. Gosh, I love how the interiors of their cars look. The the combination of materials that they choose and the quality of the materials. The colors. The colors and the textures. Like they they nail it. They nail it in a way that sometimes more expensive, like honest to goodness, luxury brands miss the mark. And Mazda, what did they say at the was the one we just went to? Oh my gosh. Um, the CX fifty. CX-50, thank you. I lost which car it was. The CX-50, when they were talking about how they were trying to push towards, you know, sort of a more upscale brand, they weren't really calling themselves a luxury brand, but they're trying to push that way. And I thought, God, you guys are already there. Like the interiors have been and have been for years. But um, even the styling on the outside, and honestly, if you want a red car, pick one from the Mazda line. Oh, absolutely. The most beautiful, what it used to be. Soul Crystal Red. Soul Crystal Red. Oh my gosh. It is the most beautiful red car just if you like red cars, just go look at one. You'll be like, okay, I'm buying a Mazda because no one does red like Mazda does red. They're they're just beautiful. Um, so I like it, but I do think, you know, the fuel economy, eh, that's kind of an issue. But like you said, this is getting, it's just about due to have some significant updates to it. And I feel like they will likely take care of some of those issues when the next update comes the next year, you know, year to two years. Uh, hoping that they do, because I still think this is a great car. Just think, you know, as, as things like the Telluride have come out, which is just phenomenal. You've got competition that didn't exist when they released this. So now you got to up your game a little bit to meet up with that competition, but still yeah. a great vehicle. I still think, I don't think you're making a bad choice going with this by any means. I like the CX-9. And I think um, one of the few options, one of the few extra cost options on the CX-9 signature is that soul crystal red paint, which is an extra 600 bucks. It's so if you're going to buy one of these spring for the 600 bucks. Oh, do you're it. spending nearly 50 grand anyway. Another 600 bucks isn't going to kill you. It's so get that red. pretty. It is just beautiful. It's just a beautiful guy. I don't know what they do. I don't know what magic fairies Mazda has working in its paint department, <laughs> but like they sprinkle magic on every red car. It's like, wait, poof. Now it may go out the door. They're just, they're just beautiful. They, they should just gorgeous. cancel all the other colors and just right. ship every, you know, just like Ferraris always used to be, you know, their 
their shade of red. Yes. You know, just make all Mazdas. If you want a Mazda, we're, all, we're just doing red now. We've gotten rid of all the other colors. It's like, yeah. what was the fourth thing? You can have any color you want as long as it's black. You can have yes. any color you want as long as it's our red. That's not a bad deal. <laughs> yeah, you could do a lot worse. <laughs> all right. Uh, let's see. Um, where's my list? Where's my list? Okay. Um, what shall we start with? Let's do Lincoln. Um, okay, let's start with Lincoln. So I went to L.A. for a day. Um, I was, let's see. I, was, I think I was on the ground in L.A. for about uh, 19 hours or so, 18, 19 hours. Ouch, that's hard. Yeah. It wasn't too bad because um, no. it wasn't long enough for my body to adjust to the three-hour time difference. So <laughs> Only your you know, brain get, know what you get, had get, done to yourself. Yeah, get, <laughs> you, know, get, get, you know, catching a ride to the airport at 5 a.m., you know, it was 8 a.m. here in Detroit already okay. anyway, so I would have already been at work. So it was no big deal. Um, aside just from aside from you know having to sit in an airline seat for you know four hours. Yes. But um, my, Lincoln uh, unveiled the star concept. Um, Lincoln and, and frankly most automakers don't do very many real concepts anymore. You know most of what we see as concepts now are you know very lightly adjusted, you know, views of the production model. Yeah. Um, you know, this one is actually, I think not that far off from what we're going to see in production in two years. You think, you think it's going to be close? Some of this uh, design? Yeah, I think it's oh, going to be very be so much cool. like this. Uh, so the star concept is, uh, you know, sort of a, a aviator sized, um, crossover, uh, but a little bit lower. It's not as tall as an aviator. Uh, I was surprised at how, Relatively low, the roof line seemed to be, um, and uh, this is this is the design direction. This, this is an indicator of the design direction that Lincoln is going for all its EVs. Um, we've talked in the past about you know the challenge for designers as you go electric. You know you no longer have the need for the traditional grill, uh, you know, for cooling the powertrain. You know you just need a small air intake in the front for cooling the battery. And so how do you give a vehicle a distinct face, you know, that's, you know, indicates what the brand is. So people see it and they know, Oh, that's a Lincoln or that's a Cadillac or that's a BMW. Um, and those two Lincoln and BMW, I think are kind of polar opposites of how you might approach this problem. <laughs> um, and we'll talk about the, the new seven series in a minute. Um, yeah. And Lincoln, Lincoln, in some ways, Lincoln is closer to what Cadillac has done. Um, but you know, I think they've gone even further than than Cadillac, you know, in especially in the front end look, uh, taking advantage of the fact that it's an EV, um, and they you know they're relying a lot on lighting, being able to do interesting things with lighting, but just the overall shape of the thing you know has evolved quite a bit. What do you think? I think it looks amazing. I mean, if they, it's when I said, do you really think they're going to pull this off? looking like this. I mean, there are some design details and especially that grill, you know, I had a conversation with a friend who's a really big muscle car guy and his biggest objection to making the move to EVs. Cause it's him, you know, they have some, you can move in an EV. It's not oh, yeah. like a sluggish little, you know, hybrids of old. They're, They're the fastest old. cars on the road now. Right. And I said, Chris, you should go drive one. And I said, go drive a Mustang Mach-E for me. Just do it. He's like, Oh my gosh, I drove one. That thing really moves, but I can't get past the grill. That literally where is, is where it loses him. He can't, He's like, they all just have that sort of plain, there's not enough there. Like designers haven't quite figured out what to do with the front. I think what Lincoln 
did here looks really striking is if, if they can pull that off and if it looks this close to this. And I love the little pull. Do they say there's an image in your story, Sam, that has the pullout drawer for the frunk? Mm-hmm. Is that something that will actually make it? Um, it's really they, cool. They, they, they seem to, they, they hinted at the fact that not necessarily on every model. Okay. But I think that there will be some Lincolns that have this. So in, you know, instead cool. of just the traditional front, you know, where you lift the hood, you know, and you know, there's a, a cargo area there, like you have on a Tesla or the Mach-E um, or on the, the F-150 Lightning. When you open the hood, the, um, or in this case, actually, the hood doesn't, it's not hinged at the rear. Kinda on the like, concept, at least, it basically lifts straight up into the air. And yeah, then you've got a drawer so cool. that lifts out. Or that, that slides out. Now, I I would not expect to see this, um, you know, on say, you know, the smaller EV like the, you know, say the Corsair, right? You know, a cor- uh, something like the Corsair, but um, perhaps um, you know on the Navigator or or you know even on the Aviator. The, yeah. They, it's definitely they seem to be pretty serious about this concept about this, this idea. This pullout drawer thing, I and it's so cool because like when you look at some of these. You know the the frunks in some of these vehicles. You know, there's that's a lot of space where the mm-hmm. engine used to be. It is a it, it's either teeny tiny and they've used nothing, or it's like cavernous. And you think about like getting all the way to the back of that cavernous space to just have like the drawers just could come out, bring stuff to you, push a little drawer back. Although I do wonder, and you should wonder this too, because you live where there's snow. How would how well would that function when you have your frozen tundra? And your car's encased in ice. Now you pulled it open and some ice has fallen in the sides there. And then you go to shut it and you've got ice. That's where there's going to be some interesting engineering challenges. I mean, you know, you could obviously take the Tesla approach and just not care. And, you know, when you open the, the trunk of a Model 3 and <laughs> it's it raining, you know, it, it all just pours down into the into the trunk. Um, but, you know, I, I think. You know, Lincoln will take a little more thoughtful approach to this. I don't, I don't know for sure how they'll make this work. Um, you know, I certainly wouldn't expect it to be implemented quite the way it is on this concept where as I said that hood, that hood panel, Yeah. you know, especially because the other thing about this hood panel that we haven't mentioned is it's electrochromic glass. Yeah. So the hood panel rises straight up into the air and then the drawer slides out. Mm-hmm. Um, but that electrochromic glass, you know, if, if for some reason you wanted to show off to the world what you're storing in your front trunk, you can, <laughs> you can dim luggage. that and it's completely <laughs> visible in there. Yeah. You know, um, and then when, if you want, you know, if you want whatever's in there to be private, you can just you know, press the button and it turns black, just like on the windows on a uh, Boeing 787. They, right. do, they work the same way instead of traditional window shades. Um, I don't expect to see that in production, that part of it. <laughs> um, but, you know, there... There are yeah, and another thing about you know the drawer frunk, um, you know, why I don't wouldn't necessarily expect it to be seen, uh, you know, or or even you know to be that useful on some of the vehicles, because one one of the things that was striking about this when I stood next to it, um, you know, especially after having seen the the BMW i7 the week before. You know, the the hood line really drops down at the front. I mean, they have really taken advantage of the fact that they're using a dedicated EV chassis, yeah. um, and so you know it's not something that has been modified um, from an internal combustion power you know platform right. um, 
so they don't have any they don't have that traditional structure that they need there to hold the radiator and everything mm-hmm. uh, so it's it it you know it really slopes down quite dramatically in the front and you know the front fender line you know is not that tall so even if you even if it didn't have the drawer and you just had a traditional hood rear hinged hood you know it's not a big reach to get inside to get stuff out of that frunk um you know, for something larger, like if you were to do something like navigator size, for example, where it is going to be a taller vehicle, right? Uh, then that's uh, you know, it's a different story there. That's where I think it might be, uh, you know, something that we only see in a vehicle of that type rather than in the smaller vehicles, because there's there's just not as much benefit to it. And obviously, something like that is going to add weight. Add, obviously, adds a lot of complexity to a it. A lot of complexity, yeah. Um, but it's a it's a cool idea, and you know, for a concept, you know. It's, that's why you do concepts is to throw some of these ideas out there and see how people react to it. Um, but what was the overall reception of the people that were there? Did people seem to be excited? Everyone loved it. Yeah. Yeah, They all, they all thought it was great. Um, so, you know, and the, as I said, you know, the roof line, uh, you know, even though like lengthwise it's seems similar in overall length to an aviator, uh, the roof line is lower you know, it's not as tall as an aviator. Uh, and, you know, it, it looks very sleek. Um, and, you know, they, they might do something like this, you know, as an adjunct uh, to the aviator. You know, so you have a, a taller, um, you know, taller, you know, three row, and then something like this that is more a little, I don't want to use the word coupe-like because it's not coupe-like. But, you know, something a little more sleek and stylish, you know, it's taller than a traditional sedan, but shorter than a traditional SUV. Uh, and I think it's, it's, a, it's a very interesting middle point. And the concept was configured as a four-seater, but it's, mm-hmm. it's clearly long enough to do three rows in there. Oh, you uh, think they could do it as three? Oh, yeah. And they, they acknowledge that, yeah, it's, it's, it's big enough and flexible enough that they could do it as a three-row. Um, and uh, so it's going to be interesting to see what they do. And the interior is again is something you know quite different for Lincoln. Although it's not, not, not every aspect of it is entirely new. One you know one feature that they've got in there is the, what they call the coast to coast display. Okay. Um, so this is a, a, dis- a display screen that spans all the way from a pillar to a pillar, all the way across the top of the dash. And this is something we first saw several years ago on the. Um, <clears throat> Uh, on the Byte and M-Byte, uh, yeah. when they showed it, I think in 2019 or 2020, 2019, uh, they first showed it at CES. So Byte was a, a Chinese-based EV startup um, that did this full-width display. Uh, and it's, it's mounted further forward. And it's, it's an interesting concept because you're, putting it, you're pushing it further away um, you know, at the base of the windshield. So it's a little closer to your line of sight when you're driving. Uh, and... One when I I had actually before Mbyte ran into their financial dif- or before Byton ran into their financial difficulties, they had a uh, uh, an office in Silicon Valley and I visited there a couple of years ago, uh, and actually went for a ride in one of the prototypes and spent some time with their their head of uh, user experience design in the buck in the in the lab, trying this out, and it, one of the the things that they talked about is uh, you know. When, when they studied the way people use, like, navigation systems, for example, they, um, uh, you know, 
people are often zooming in and out to get context of where they are on their overall route, uh, you know, but then they want to zoom in and get the detail. And, you know, if you give them a larger screen like this, then you can see the entire route, but still have it large enough to have, you know, the, the detail, you know, right where, where you are, you know, what's your next turn, that, that sort of thing. Um, and so there's, a, they, they felt like there was less distraction to this approach. And then of course you can also have a display, you know, for the passenger side as well. Um, and on the, on the Byton, you know, what they did was they actually had the controls on the steering wheel. They actually had a small touchscreen on the steering wheel, uh, hub that is what the driver interacted with because it's too far away from you to reach, to touch it directly. Mm -hmm. So you've got a remote touchscreen, uh, which is an interesting approach. Ford's not, uh, doing, or Lincoln's not doing quite that, but on the, the, the Zephyr sedan that they just launched in China, it's a China only model. They actually have a large screen like this on the Zephyr. Uh, so do you so, think the screen will make it pretty close to what we're seeing in this image? Yeah. You yeah. do. What did you, th what did it look like? Like in person seeing it. So that comes down on your just like brief impression of the reveal. Right. Right now there are two concept, two versions of the, the concept. Um, there's one that's got a full interior and there's one that does not have a full interior. Huh. Um, the one with the full interior is still stuck in China. It was supposed <laughs> to be shipped back here for this event. Um, and that whole supply chain the, shipping issues situation. Well, it wasn't even that it was more, nope. more of the COVID lockdowns. It's in Shanghai. Oh, so It's, it's stuck. stuck in Shanghai. And so they got couldn't it. get back, could it back, couldn't get it back here in time, but they did have an interior buck, um, that we got to sit in. Uh, you know, so an interior buck is basically a, a large styrofoam model that has the shapes so you can sit in the, in the seats. Right. Um, and then we were wearing VR headsets and you look around and you see, and I did the oh, same thing last fall with Cadillac and the, and their design studio with the Lyric sitting in an okay. interior buck with a VR headset on, you know, and looking around and checking out all the interior details. Um, and it, it was, it was pretty interesting. Um, and you know, I, I, I kind of like this approach. I think the, the only, uh, issue I have that I didn't really get a good answer from Lincoln on was the, the passenger side of the display, you know, how, how are you going to handle that? And, uh, you know, to prevent driver distraction. Right. Like, is there a point where, cause it, like you, some of the, like the screen in the, um, the Grand Wagoneer, you cannot see it from the driver's seat. Yeah, you put a like, polarizing filter on there. Yeah, and I'd like try, you literally have to lean over so your head is almost next to the passenger's head yeah. before you can see it. So there's no way you're going to like be tempted to look over there. But where this one, like where maybe there's a, is there a point? Like in yeah, this I mean, where there's I'm, a division that, you know. For the, for the concept, they, they didn't have that um, or they at least didn't, you know, talk about that yet. Um, mm -hmm. So it's not clear you know, what the ultimate production solution will be. I'm sure there's a plan because there's no way you could yeah. have a screen that big and have the driver. Be yeah. Able you've to got to do something. That. Yeah. There has to be a way to cut the driver off from that. Yeah. Um, and then the, the rear seats, you know, you've got these reclining rear seats and they actually have a, a drawer that, you know, uh, that can slide out from the rear seats so you can take off your shoes and store them in the drawer under the seat. Isn't that uh, a yeah, just little little details. A lot, a lot of nice little details. I love stuff like that. That yeah. just that amuses me. It's well, we have this thing that pulls out. Wait, we can put a drawer there. Okay, go ahead, put a drawer there. Put some storage there. Make it something people can use. Whether you put so, your shoes or just random stuff in it, like that's nifty. I like that. 
so um, did you notice the uh, the pillars, the A pillars and the D pillars? Yeah, they are those. Yes. What is that? I can't tell what that is. Looking at that, can you? See yeah. That? So, so what they've lighting? done? Yeah. You know, yeah. You know, on a lot of modern vehicles, you know, they tend to have very thick pillars on there to meet the the roof crush standards, um, which unfortunately has the downside of you know making big blind spots for you. So what they've done here on this concept, and it sounds like they want to try and do for production. I don't know if they'll actually be able to achieve Wait. it or not, at least maybe not in the first generation, but eventually I think they, this is the direction they want to go, is the pillar is actually comprised of two slim pillars, and then there's a lattice, uh, a 3D-printed aluminum lattice in between them. So it's made from you know, powdered uh, powdered aluminum for 3D printing and sintered with the, the laser, you know, to solidify it. And so it's this composite. So you can actually see through it. It, it becomes almost transparent. That is cool. Yeah. So you have potentially much better visibility. It's an interesting design detail, better visibility. Um, and it's also lighter and stronger than a traditional pillar. It looks incredible in these pictures. It makes the car look like it's, it's, it's again, it says like small details because they could have also made it not as attractive. Like they made it really pretty. Like it looks good. It's a striking design element that matches with yeah. the other design elements of the car. So it really gives this very future vibe to it. Right. And, and, you know, one of the other things, you know, as the light comes through it, yes. um, you know, it creates little spots of light all over the interior of the, the car. Pattern that it's going to create as that comes through. Can you imagine the flickering light effect? The nice yeah. soft sort of filtered light that's going to create for people. That, yeah. It looks really neat. And uh, they also have um, what they're calling rejuvenation modes. Um, you know, we've talked frequently about uh, the sounds of nature in Hyundai yeah. and Kia vehicles. Fire, the crunching. Take, take this to a whole nother level. Okay. Uh, so rejuvenation modes, um, you know, you've got this giant display in the front there. Um, right now they've got three different modes in there. Um, one is... Uh, uh, the coastal morning mode, and so you see the the splash, you know, the the waves crashing. You know, it, it plays video of the waves crashing across this entire span, you know, spanning display. You bring the um, ocean to your car if you bring can't the ocean to your car. It's playing audio, you know, that replicates that 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 that's synced to that video, and then there's also. Um, sense that it sprays into the cabin. So and that's what there. I need to know about. Did they? How did they demonstrate this? Did you get they, a little? They did. They did demo it with the, with 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 the buck. You know, they, they didn't it, have was, the fully okay, functional car. There. Does it smell? Like, is it that weird? Like, it's, it's very, it's very, very subtle. It's not, it's not overpowering. You haven't stuck sense. your nose into a handful of seaweed. No, it's no, it's, it's, it's yeah, it's, <laughs> it's 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 very subtle. You know, and again. Uh, you know, uh, we'll see if they actually do this. You know, it'll if they do it, you know, it'll probably require, you know, having a cartridge that you might replace periodically. Well, there's the there's the and I can't remember the vehicles, but they do have the little sort of atomizer things. That some of them plug in like to a spot that's in um, like almost in the glove box and you can trade out your scent that, that, that <laughs> through the cabin. Um, I learned something interesting a couple of years back when I was talking to somebody who had been doing a story on new car smell. Okay. And um, it turns out that on modern cars, um, because, you know, they've moved away from a lot of the traditional 
um, chemicals that they use for treating leather and, and other materials. Um, apparently, if you um, take out the, if you look underneath the passenger seat of most modern cars, there's actually a little cartridge there that uh, has something in there that is actually your new car smell. No, they're putting really. Yes. Because what people think it's not really new. I thought most people, I thought these people either love or hate new car smell or that many of us want our car to smell like that. Apparently. Um, <laughs> so a lot of, a lot of interesting details about this. Uh, so, you know, that Lincoln wouldn't say exactly when they're going to be launching their first EV. Um, originally the plan was they were going to launch in second half of 2023. Okay. Um, and the, the Lincoln uh, aviator, EV, you know, for, I don't know if they're going to call it aviator or not, but um, an aviator sized uh, EV crossover and also an explorer sized one were supposed to be built in Cuadalan, Mexico alongside the Mach-E. But because the Mach-E has been so popular and they've decided to increase production of that there, they shifted the production plan for the explorer and aviator EVs to Oakville, Ontario, uh, which currently builds the Nautilus and the Edge. Mm-hmm. Um, and that plant's being going to be retooled uh, after Nautilus and Edge production ends there next year. Uh, and that's going to build those vehicles. Uh, so the what I've heard is that 2024 is when the first one's going to launch. What they did say is by 2025, they will have three EVs in the lineup, with a fourth coming in 2026, uh, which is the, the Navigator uh, EV. And that's going to, that Navigator EV is going to be based on the next-generation truck platform for the next-gen Lightning uh, that's okay. that's all that's launching in 2025, and that's going to be built at the the new plant, the new assembly plant they're doing in Tennessee um, for for those electric trucks. So um, by by 2026, they'll have four EVs in the Lincoln lineup, um, and you know eventually towards the end of the decade, they expect to probably be 100% electric. Fair enough. Yeah. I like this. This is really right. like I'm happy. So um, I did have a chance to chat with Kamal Couric, who is the global director of design for Lincoln. Um, got a 10 minute or so interview that I will drop in here. All right, Kamal, we're here with the Lincoln Star concept. This is the first hint of the design direction that Lincoln is going to go in the future uh, as you start to go electric. What what is what is the what would you say is the overall theme for Lincoln? What is your overall goal as the brand starts to introduce electric vehicles in the next few years? Yes, yeah, so for us for Lincoln we are we're quite proud today to introduce the Lincoln Star concept. It's an overarching vision for our brand, where we're heading in the future. It's, it serves as a couple of purposes. Really think about the experience that our customers gonna have with the new EV vehicles and really kind of dialing it in into, into starting the building this car from inside out. Um, as I said earlier to you, um, now we want to, we have this all new space being electric, not having a motor, not having the traditional elements. Now all of a sudden the space is all open for the designers that so we can reimagine the things we couldn't have done before. Mm-hmm. So we're taking full advantage. Um, starting thinking about the interior, the flexibility you're going to have, the spaciousness you're going to have, uh, and focusing on the moments that really matters for our client, clients and the customers. Uh, and what I mean by that, with the moments that matter, we want to also understand what does the customer really want and to give them 
also certain things that they didn't even know they needed. So uh, this is another thing we're focusing as a design organization, as, as a Lincoln organization. So when you say uh, giving, like, what's, what, give me an example, what sorts of things that you would want to give a customer that they didn't know they needed? So right now we're thinking about the flexibility. If you said, you know, this car is built for, for your mission uh, and it's very purposeful. So, so they never want to have any other vehicle. They have one vehicle so we can serve them multiple uh, uh, purposes. So if you think about the way that this car is designed, the front is functional. So the front entrance where the engine used to be housing now, now you can actually use it as your gallery. They can showcase your, uh, your hobbies perhaps. You can have the light come through. You have a flexible storage which is in private mode that you can actually extend like a drawer and you can store your precious uh, valuable and lock them in a site that nobody can see. Uh, and if you think about the back end, the way the seats transformed to a, to a lounge seat, those are the things that we all enjoy. If you, we want to enjoy the outdoors, you want to take your vehicles, you want to also uh, be with your friends, so you want to uh, flip over, uh, flip the, uh, the rear trunk area and you can enjoy your vehicle. Um, so we also want to be the car to be much more rewarding in terms of the journey becomes the, the reward. Uh, what I mean by that is we want you to enjoy this. Uh, and we put these three, uh, um, three moods into this car that we wanted you to configure. So in the morning, in the evening, in the afternoon, you have the choice. If you want to be invigorating, your car will know that. Your car will know you, it will sense the, uh, the, the mood you're in, and it will adopt the scent, it will adopt the lighting, well, that the seating configuration. So we want to create this amazing space that you never want to leave. From a, an overall design language perspective, I mean, there's clearly some aspects of this concept that you can see the connection to current Lincoln models. Uh, but there's also some things you've done very differently because it's an EV. Talk about the challenges of designing an electric vehicle and giving it a unique um, design DNA and inc incorporating the design DNA when you don't have something like a grill on the front. Yeah, for us, I mean, the tenants has n not changed. We actually feel now we can dial them in even more. So our quiet flight, our vision has been for many years of a human sanctuary beauty and gliding. We really focus on these elements. Now, being the gliding element, we want to focus on the aero efficiency of this vehicle. So we gave the most aerodynamic, efficient look to this car that is possible at that size. Um, then the beauty was another aspect. We wanted to focus on the essentials. So we gave the Lincoln Star a perfect housing, but we simplified the Lincoln Star. Uh, it now is illuminated, is, is much more 3D, but behind the lens like a precious jewelry. And then we focused on the signature lighting. And again, being inspired by some of the uh, patterns, which we call them the Lincoln monogram, some of the architecture of this vehicle, we focused on something which is quite distinctive, quite bold, um, and, and, and almost uh, very recognizable. Um, instead of being a grill, it was more focusing on, on what's necessary and what's purposeful. The, the lighting in the front, the, the, the signature lights, the headlights, and, and the tail lights is a very different look for Lincoln. Um, talk about you know kind of where that came from. What inspired that? Uh, going back to like the this the, this in-flight gesture. If you think about the first at the glance look from a mile away, this wing up shape, very distinctive look. Towards the back end, you'll see this wing down. But then the patterns we were inspired 
but some of the architecture, um, if you think about some of the famous Azad Hadid buildings, some of the Tiffany diamond cut glass, um, we were really inspired by some of these 3D architectural, where you see the glass and you see the structural pieces 3D printed behind it. So even on the front end, if you see the headlamps, the way um, they created, you have this exoskeleton, but then you have this wonderful lighting around it as a second read. Uh, it gives a very clear, unique, and distinctive look to this vehicle. Um, moving to the uh, to the inside, um, t tell me more a bit more about the what the strategy was uh, or the thought was around how you created this, this interior uh, space. Well, to first start with the experience, asking ourselves and our customer first, what did it really want? It was the space. It was uh, it was the the things that matter to them most, and we call this most memorable mo moments that matter to you. And, and we created this journey map. So from the arrival, from from the journey map, we create basically these moments uh, that are very important for our clients. From the moment they walk up to the vehicles, so now being an EV, this car is already preset for you. It already knows you. It's already cooled down on a warm day, or it's warmed up on a, on a cool day. Uh, that's the number one advantage. And then having your digital content available to you seamlessly, so you don't have to um, worry about it. So being this effortless efficiency behind there uh, was a very important thing for us. Um, but then again, celebrating also this craftsmanship, uh, in incorporating some of the screen, the way they magically appear, some of the content appears on the screens. Um, there was another thing that we wanted to really incorporate, is surprise and delight in this vehicle. The, um, some of the things that you've done here, a lot. There's a lot of things you've done in this in this concept that are clearly enabled by the fact that it's an EV. You have you have the flat floor with the battery under the floor. Um, how much of what you've done, either in the interior or the exterior, um, is also going to carry forward into future internal combustion engines? Because they're they're going to be around at least for a while yet. Well, some of the experience, you, you know, we already have, but this is, again, dialed in much more uh, optimized way. This is the ideal case scenario. Now, all of a sudden, you have components you don't have, you don't have that you used to have in, in, a, in a gas-powered engine. That it's, it's a brand new world to us, a designer. Uh, but we, we, we're still committed to our gas-powered uh, uh, clients, and we're still going to continue to evolve and, and, and some of the experience you will find there as well. Okay. Any other thoughts you want to share? Um, oh, I guess one, one other thing uh, we haven't talked about is the pillars, the A pillars and the D pillars, um, which are semi-transparent. Talk, talk about that idea and what, what you did there and how, how you achieved that. We love this idea of this being this exoskeleton build around it. So you build a car from inside out uh, and then you have this flush glass around it. And, and what it does give you is not just the rigidity and structural, the visibility is another thing. Imagine the safety aspect from it, that you have the cars are getting larger and larger nowadays, so the pillar is getting thicker and thicker. Uh, uh, but we actually went the opposite, using some, some quite rigid and light materials of the same, same structural feature, but at the same time they enable the light to come in so you'll never feel cramped in. So the interior 
uh, uh, feels probably is twice as large as, as it will be in a conventional execution. Okay, any, any final thoughts you want to share about the, the direction for Lincoln as it moves forward into this electric era, into its second century? Well, we're quite excited. I mean, we're quite excited. We're creating almost like the supercomputer on wheels, which is, um, which is a very new species for, uh, for Lincoln brand and reinventing ourselves and taking some of the, the heritage and influence and, and prestigiousness from the past. But at the same time, we're not shying away to reinvent, um, challenge ourselves, as you can see, um, and come up with something very unique, very bold statement here. Okay. Thank you, sir. Thank you very much, Thank Kamal. Hey, Always you. great to talk to you. No, I appreciate it. All right. And that was my, my conversation with Kamal, uh, talking about Lincoln Design and, and where it's going in the age of electrification. Uh, so let's see. What do we got next on the list? Oh, so the other, the other electric I saw uh, the week before the, uh, when we were in New York, uh, the new BMW 7 Series and the i7, which is the electric version of this. What do you think of the 7 Series? Why with the grill? Like, it's so big. I can't. I see a giant grill. There's a giant grill the size of my entire screen. That's all I see. Yeah. I don't know. I, I, what I need to know what this one looks like in person, because I didn't see this. And this one in pictures, to me, is not... It's not as striking. It almost feels like the, the, the one on like the, the first image that you have in your story on, um, on Forbes, Sam, that first image looks like a vehicle to me from like 1985. Like it just doesn't look exciting. Am I wrong? What does it look like in the real world? Pretty much. Yeah. Um, no, you're pretty, you're pretty much right. Um, you know, I mean, the first thing we thought, uh, we, we're, we had, there was a backgrounder in New York, uh, before they revealed it earlier this week, actually on the same day, Earlier the same day as the Lincoln Star concept, uh, they revealed they publicly revealed the seven series. Um, but they, their background, the backgrounder in New York the week before, where we got to see it in person, uh, and a day or so before that they had announced the re- mid-cycle refresh for the X seven, um, which has front end very much like this. And the first thing any of us thought when we saw it was, "Oh, Genesis lights! What do you know?" <laughs> Because it's got these split horizontal lamps, you know. So the upper segment is the the driving lamps the, or the daytime running lamps, and then the lower segment is the actual headlamps. Uh, some people thought it reminded them of the uh, the Jeep Cherokee uh, from you know when the the Cherokee was redesigned in 2015 or 16, whenever that came out. Uh, it was one of the first to do that that kind of look to it. Um, yeah, and then you know the massive grill. Uh, you know, aside from the front, most of the rest of the car looks pretty conventional, you know, three box sedan, you know, not There's something. So it's very boxy in a way that, like I said, it really reminds me of, well, it's, I mean, it's, it's taller the than the old accent. seven series. Yeah. But the little blue accents are like, okay, so here's our little nod to the future because it's blue, but on the outside, like it just, you would not think glancing at this the average person that like, Oh, this is a really new, fresh vehicle. You, your first, you would probably not notice it. Like you kind of, mm-hmm. okay, another BMW, man, that grill is big. And you wouldn't think much beyond because it just doesn't, I don't know. It doesn't feel like it's a design forward thing. It almost feels like it relies on something old school. Yeah. And you know, I think a, a big part of the problem is BMW is not fully committing to EVs. Mm-hmm. Uh, from a design perspective, 
Uh, and to some degree, I can, especially for the seven series, right? I can kind of understand, you know, because this is, you know, the seven series sells about 20, 25,000 units a year globally. Yeah. So it's not a huge volume product. Sure. So to justify the cost of a, uh, you know, a full electric platform for that is a lot tougher. On the flip side, you know, the nature of EVs is such that you can use a lot of those components across multiple vehicles. Um, and, you know, so you can have a more distinct look. Um, you know, this one, you know, does not, the, the i7 does not look dramatically different from any other 7 Series, except when you get up close and you look at the grill, you realize it's all closed off. There's no no openings okay. in there. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, the, the new 7 Series is five inches longer than the old one. Wow. So this is a big car. Yeah. And, you know, it's got, when you look at it in profile, it's got the traditional BMW proportions, long hood, cabin kind of set back a little bit, you know, that performance, you know, rear wheel drive kind of, kind of um, uh, proportions to it. Um, but because they have opted not to do a purpose-built plat- electric platform for this, and the same goes, you know, for the three and four series, you know, you've got the I4, you know, which is sharing its basic architecture with, uh, with the, the, the gas three and four series. You end up with a very long hood that, that you don't have any storage under there. <laughs> it's just a big There's hood. no front trunk. So you've got this gigantic volume that they say – What's yeah, in they, there? They claim it's it's it's. I mean, they, there's the HVAC and you know the cooling system and other things. The world's largest HVAC and cooling system. <laughs> they, they claim that it takes that it does actually take up most of that space. Really? Which to me, Why, you know, I, I I look at you know I look at that. It's like you look at a Mach E, which actually has a shorter front mm-hmm. end, and still has a fairly substantial cargo area in there. It, and that one hasn't, you know, the HVAC and everything and as a, at launch was not fully optimized. They were using a lot of off-the-shelf components from other Ford vehicles. Right. And yet they managed to still give you a pretty good-sized front trunk. F-150 is another one. You know, yeah. 14 yeah, cubic yeah. feet in that front like trunk. Gigantic, yeah. And you look at this, it's like, come on. Yeah, it's so you could like, not you could not squeeze that stuff down a little bit and put I'm not some believing this. Like for there. how fancy, like because okay, let's just BMW has some engineers. They kind of have a reputation for that whole German engineering thing. Yeah. Engineer it, guys. Like it just I don't know. I don't. I feel like that's sort of just. I feel like it's an excuse. Well, I don't know. I don't know why they. I don't. I don't get this car. Yeah, <laughs> and and another another aspect of this is you know Ken, you you get inside and you realize how this is a shared platform with the gas engine versions because the transmission tunnel is still there. Yeah. In the back seat, it's not a flat floor. You still have a tunnel there, as does the I-4. Yeah. Because they're using the same floor pan. Yeah, we couldn't... See, and I get it. I get it that we're sharing parts. I get it. Parts is part. And nothing wrong with that. There's, but, but, but like, if you're going to share parts, don't do it in a way that like, okay, this part works perfectly in car A and it works perfectly in car B. It's like, no, not it works perfectly in car A and it looks ridiculous in car B because it doesn't make sense for it. Then don't share that part. Yeah. Just bite the bullet and make the part work for the car that it's in. And I feel like really at just no. So on the inside, you've got you know a lot of the same design look that we're seeing on other 
newer BMWs. The um, inside is attractive. As I yeah, you, you've got the that, outside, it is. It, the big curved it, screen. The front. screen in the back, the one that's hang, that's <laughs> like on the, what is up with that? That's that is the theater screen. So instead of having a, you know a couple of ten inch screens on the back of the front seats, you know for for your rear seat entertainment, um, the the new seven series has an optional theater screen, which is a thirty one inch eight K display that Good folds down people. from the roof. It uh, folds down. Oh my gosh! Is that what that sort of recessed? Yeah. Kind of see it. Oh my gosh. So it's a it's a beautiful display. <laughs> it's it's a gorgeous. I mean, 8K display. I mean, it looks fantastic. Yeah. Um, but again, you know, it's also a an ultra wide screen, um, which you know when I saw it, I thought, oh okay, you know maybe you you know can I asked you know can you display two different things on there so if the two rear seat passengers want to be watching different things you know like, yeah because. Um, Honda had that years ago on the right. um, the Odyssey. Yeah, you know, so I mean, the that kids was can only watch their own thing. Yeah, yeah, and they split. Only, you can each do your own yeah. thing. No, can't. Only, only only one input to the the screen. Why? Why? It does have built in, you know, Amazon Fire TV, so you can stream, you know, all your Netflix and and yeah. HBO and all the other stuff uh, through that uh, using the the cellular connection. Um, the the other thing I noticed, you know, because the screen is so large, when it flips down. If you're in the driver's seat, you have zero visibility to the back. I was just going to ask that. Does this does this have the rear view mirror that's nope. a mirror, actually a camera? No, it's nope. still just a mirror. So you're looking at the back of the screen. Yep. Awesome. <laughs> that literally was one of my questions for you. I'm like, wait, does it? Why? I, I, the confusion just continues. The more you say, Sam, the more <laughs> the, you know, the, one, one of the BMW folks, you know, said... Um, you know, we don't, you know, we don't think the, uh, the digital cameras are, or the digital mirrors are a, a good experience, you know, because your, your focus point is different, um, you so, know, from using so a mirror. The di- they don't like the digital camera, but it, it when it's but, either digital camera or black box nothing, of void of no. nothing, they're like the black box, nothing, the black back of a screen is better than a digital camera. Maybe the digital isn't as good. I'll give you that the. Focal point is different than a traditional mirror, but you're not going mirror or digital. It's it's mirror or nothing. Yeah, <laughs> digital is a good happy middle point for that. Maybe it would seem so. But <sighs> and um, I honestly yeah. think those digital cameras they take a little time for your eye to get used to the difference. Yeah. But once you get used to the difference, they're actually fantastic. But there is a little learning curve for you to get get accustomed to. Like we're all accustomed to the distance and side view mirrors that they're mm-hmm. you know objects are close. You do the same thing with the the camera mirror, yeah. the rear view mirror. They, they it just takes a little time for you to get used to it. Yeah. Um, so the the i seven the electric version um, has a hundred and five kilowatt hour battery pack, which they say will give it about a three hundred mile range. Mm-hmm. Uh, which again, mm-hmm. compared to an EQS, uh, you know EQS is rated at I think three hundred sixty miles uh, with a similar sized battery, um, and or you compare it to a Lucid, which is you know, up to 500 miles, right. um, you know, or 400 miles from a Tesla. I mean, granted, this feels like a lot more of a luxury car than a Tesla Model S does. Yes. And it's certainly Look a lot it. larger than right. a Model S is. Um, but, you know, Oliver Zipsa was there. He's the CEO of BMW Group. And he kept calling this a no compromises car. And the more I looked at it, the more I noticed all the compromises. You know, it's like, no, it's this thing is full of compromises. It's a very compromised car. Yeah. Yeah, I so, don't. It goes it goes on sale in November. 
Do we have uh, pricing on what this this puppy is going to run? Yeah, the i7 is uh, I think about 113 to start. Um, there's also the 740i, which is like uh, that's the this three liter inline six, yeah. 375 horsepower, uh, and that one will go for uh, starting in the mid 90s. Um, the uh, so would uh, the you i7 them? is 536 horsepower. It's using the same dual motor setup that's in the i4 M50 uh, for 536 horsepower, uh, and that one is. Uh, oh, sorry. Uh, yeah, it's 113,600, and then the um, the 760 um, with a twin turbo V8 uh, is 119. Uh, thousand three hundred, and then next year they're launching a seven fifty e plug in hybrid, uh, which they have not given any other details on. So you have the money, you have the bank account. Would you pick this? Would you buy this? Would you go go for a any of this, any configuration of this? <laughs> I mean, for me personally, no, because you know a big luxury sedan like this is is not something that I want. Okay, if you were um, a big luxury sedan guy, would this be the big luxury sedan? Suddenly, that's what you want. You need a you need a giant luxury sedan. I, I think I would probably lean more towards the EQS or Lucid. Okay, my brain was going toward Lucid, so okay. Yeah. Uh, you know, I mean, the Lucid's not quite as large as this. Um, you know, and some people, you know, because Lucid is still a very new company. Yes. Uh, some people might be a little more um, reticent about going with a, a startup. Sure. Um, that's but, always an you know, then again, if you're, you know, if you've got a hundred thousand dollars plus to, to spend on a luxury sedan, um, it's probably not your only car. Exactly. So you've got a backup if for some reason there's yeah. some kind of service needed and you have to wait because it's not right out your front door. Yeah. Yep. So, okay. all right. That's the new uh, seven series and I seven, um, <clears throat> a couple of weeks back, uh, you and I were both in, uh, uh, where the hell were we? Oh, in Texas, in Austin. <laughs> I love <laughs> it. I don't know where we were. <laughs> uh, driving uh, another uh, vehicle with a plug, which is the Jeep Grand Cherokee 4xE. Yes. Uh, what did you think? I, you know, I like it. I, I The 4xE, the whole 4xE thing with Jeep is, it's neat because, you know, there is something to be said for going off-road in a vehicle that is suddenly as quiet as you can possibly make it. All you hear is the sounds of your skid plate scraping across the road. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But, I, I mean, I do love that. The first time I experienced that in the Wrangler 4 by i I'm like, this, this is cool. There's something to be said for this. And you get that same experience in the Grand Cherokee, um, you know, but it's it it's bigger so it's not as nimble as a wrangler but you're you're getting a lot more you know nice car as opposed to i'm gonna go out there i'm gonna get muddy that you get in the wrangler i like this i but i like the grand cherokee as a whole i like the vehicle to begin with so adding the making it a four by e i think is a no-brainer for jeep and i think it adds a nice you know it it gives you the ability to plug in it it improves your fuel economy they have those stations there and i forget there's certain trails where they are installing jeep um, Moab stations. And yeah, and, and right. So you're going to have, you know, charging stations you can take advantage of right before you get on the trail. And, you know, they let you in the course of this uh, system, you can tell it, I don't want to use any battery right now. And you can use gas all the way out to wherever you're going and then pop it into EV mode the second you get to the trail. So you can save that entire EV range just for when you're out on the trail. Uh, I like it. And, and, and I still love, you know, they take you, 
this is actually a, 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 is it a ranch? I don't know where, wherever it was that we were, we have been here before. Like Jeep has used this location before. And the neat thing is it's not like suddenly you go to this location where you took Wranglers, you took cars, you were like really crawling over rocks. Like, oh no, this is the larger, not as capable Grand Cherokee. Oh no, took you over the same crazy rocks. You're still sliding around. It's wet. You're looking at things and thinking, okay, the Jeep guy's going like, come forward. I'm going to trust him. I'm going to trust Jeep guy's not going to kill me. And sure enough, the car just crawls right over the rocks and does exactly what it's supposed to do. It is always impressive to me when you push Jeeps with people who are experts who, you know, like they're telling me to push this in a way I wouldn't just by myself. I know that it can do this. And you think, yeah, which one of us is going to go sideways? None of us, none of us, we're all fine. No matter what our skill level, y'all come off of these courses. Cars are in one piece, except for some skid plates and, you know, little wheels scratched a rock here or there. There's never like, oh God, you know, Sam trashed a Jeep. That just doesn't happen, <laughs> you know? <laughs> at, at one point along there, uh, you know, we we're going basically a, around the side of a rock. You know, we were making a, we were up on the side of a rock going around it, you know, turning left yep. and then going down. I know exactly and what you're talking about. <laughs> I, 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 I glanced over at the screen. I had the, uh, the, um, you know, the off-road page, the, the off-road page up on the screen and it was showing that I was at a 26 degree angle from the horizontal. If you look yeah. at that, you, you, you look at it, you think I shouldn't be able to do this in this yeah. giant hunk of metal. There should be significant problems being had. Nope. You know, yeah. the, the way you can swing that around, like that they can get you to do things in that. I, I am always impressed. I mean, Jeeps are capable. And I think, but the thing is like, I think, you know, in a Wrangler and a Wrangler, you expect to do what we did on that trail, Sam. You're like, yeah, a Wrangler can do this. The Grand Cherokee is not small. It's a very premium feeling vehicle. It's a, it's a luxurious vehicle inside. It is big. It is not in any way tiny or it doesn't feel like it should be maneuverable. And yet, yet it is, like you said, you, you, you basically turn around these rocks and they have you drive up things too. Sometimes you feel that like your brain this, this says, is, this is a granite wall. I'm, <laughs> how am I supposed to drive up? Right, this? You say, <laughs> you're like, I know you're calling me to go forward, but my brain is like, you're driving into a wall and Nicole stop. And she goes like, no, 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 no. You're driving up a wall. Trust us. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, you know, they had, I think, four there for the off road portion, mm-hmm. four, four Jeeps. And um, two, uh, or I think there was, yeah, there was one leader and there was three of us following. Yeah. Um, and for the, uh, they had two Trailhawks and an Overland. Yeah. So I was driving the Overland. I wasn't even driving a Trailhawk. And, this See, thing and had, that was amazing. Had, I happened no to drive problem. the Trailhawk, but it was like, they're not even all Trailhawks here. They're so confident in this. Yeah. They're like, we don't need to give you the super capable four by four, all the bells well, and whistles version. The, yeah, the, others, the others have the good four by four. The only thing that, the, the main thing that the Overland was missing was the sway bar disconnect. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, you, and at some point, and that's the know, thing. Like, not, it's such you're not going to be able to get quite as much wheel articulation. It's such a capable vehicle that they're, it doesn't matter. they're not capable. One is still unbelievably capable. Like you're, yeah. you're in the not, you're in the one, oh, you're just quote in the overland. Nope. Still climb right up that tree. You know, there's, there's a moment where the trailhawk will get you further, but it's a pretty extreme moment. Do you know what I mean? There's so much you can still do in that. That's what impresses me in this. And it is, you can, like we were talking about the forerunner, you know, you take it on the highway and it's not fun on the highway. This I drive across the country in this thing. It's quiet. It's smooth. It has a comfortable interior. It is roomy as all get out. This has that balance. You can take it on some serious off-road terrain, but if you just want to drive to the office every day, 
you can also do that and you'll be perfectly happy. Yeah. The, uh, the four by E, the plug-in hybrid system, uh, on the Grand Cherokee, it's rated, excuse me, 26 miles of electric range. Um, and then 56 MPGE combined, uh, you know, so if you plug it in on a daily basis, um, and, and drive it, the average person will probably get somewhere around 50 to somewhere between 50 and 60, uh, miles per gallon equivalent, uh, when you factor in, you know, the electricity as well. Uh, and then, in just straight up hybrid mode when the battery's depleted 23 miles per gallon. When we left, um, on the drive, my, the one I was driving was only at about 94% state of charge. And I got 24 miles uh, before the engine finally came on. Wow. Uh, and then it was in the um, uh, the charge uh, sustaining mode, I think, is is the one where uh, once the engine comes on, you know, or the hold mode. Uh, so it will, when you're driving in that, in that mode, uh, it'll actually use a little more gas because what it's doing is it's actually charging up the battery as you're driving. Mm-hmm. Um, it, you know, when you're coasting and things like that, it'll be charging up the battery. And, uh, so for that one, um, you know, by the time we got out to the ranch, I think I had a total of about 28 miles on electricity alone, uh, that, that it accumulated. That's good. Uh, yeah. So, you know, this, this is, this is an impressive vehicle. It's not inexpensive. <laughs> you know, they, it's not a bargain. <laughs> no. Uh, but, you know, when you when you factor in the uh, the tax credits, it actually comes out pretty close to the price of the standard Grand Cherokee, um, with without the, the non four by e Grand Cherokee. Right. Um, because it starts at I'm looking at the bottom of your story starts at fifty eight nine uh, with a seventeen hundred yeah. almost eighteen hundred dollar destination. So your base is fifty eight nine, and that seventy five hundred dollars tax credit makes you know it's a big help and it's not going to disappear for Jeep anytime soon. So. Right. And, um, you know, the summit reserve, which is the top trim level is about starts at 75. I'm just shy of 75. Uh, so you're looking at, you know, almost 77, uh, with the, with the delivery charge, but you know, then knock 7,500 off of that plus whatever your state may offer you. Um, and you know, it's not quite as crazy expensive. And, you know, the other thing to keep in mind too is that, they, these are all four-wheel drive uh, standard. There, right. There's no two-wheel drive uh, plug-in hybrid for the Jeep. Yeah, that's the I four like, by E name. That's the four by E. I like the yeah. four by E. I'm a fan of this idea. And there is something kind of fun about driving one, and then you're on a trail, and there's a human, and you do everything you can not to scare the human. You're still going to scare <laughs> the human because they don't hear you. And you're like, hey, hi. <laughs> ah, there's a car behind him. They don't realize it. <laughs> Uh, okay. Let's see. Next up. Um, let's, let's do the Solterra first. Okay. Um, you drove the Solterra last week. I did. Did you drive it too, Sam? Were you? I did not. You did not. I mean, I, technically I, I kind of did cause I drove the BZ4X, which yeah. is the same so thing. You drove the Solterra, but with a different badge and slightly different. Okay. With a better badge. With a better badge. Oh, did we say that? So the big. I have repeatedly. You have. <laughs> so the biggest difference between. Like having driven them both. And honestly, I forgot to open up everything for the specs for the Solterra. So I don't even, I'm not going to pretend I have those all in front of me, but I'll tell you what the big difference is between these two. If you want to drive in the dirt at all, I don't mean you're going to off-road like your Jeep. It's not a Jeep, people. It's a Subaru. But if you're someone who 
does a little bit, if you do some dirt driving, if you're taking it to a cabin or you're taking it someplace a little more rugged, or you want to do off-road to a spot where you're going to go mountain biking or whatever, you can genuinely do some stuff in this. It does handle well off-road. It is surprising. Well, it makes a big difference. So when we drove this, they had an on-road portion, but then they flew us all uh, to Catalina Island to drive off-road on Catalina, which is really kind of crazy cool because apparently there's like a 25-year wait list or something to be able to have a car on the island at all. So I thought it was pretty cool that we got to drive there. Um, and the roads that we were driving on, there were like little dirt roads. There's, there's not, you know, and there are spots where they took us off the dirt road and you were genuinely like, okay, this is a hill. This is some slidey gravel. This is some, you know, uneven, there's some ruts here from rain or whatever, where you're, you know, you're not going to take just an average everyday car up that. That was very impressive to me. So, you know, you think of a Subaru has got a little bit like your rugged adventure type. It really is. It, you know, it's standard all wheel drive and they have their X mode. Um, they have hill descent assist, you know, to help you get down steep terrain. It, it really does handle it. You don't, I don't think you think it can, like it doesn't necessarily look like it can, but it handles a surprisingly amount, a surprisingly rugged amount of off-roading and it has it very well. Um, it balances that with, it has just a nice on-road drive. It's responsive, it's comfortable. It has good room for cargo. Um, it's not a huge amount of room for cargo because it has a very, um, although the rear opening is very wide, it has a very sloped roof line in the back and that does eat in. So like you couldn't put things that are as big because as soon as you slam that tailgate, you've hit whatever your big thing is in the back. So the cargo uh, is a little bit tricky, but again, you have roof rails. You can, that are available on that, put your roof rails on, stick your thing on there, or like Sam and I do put a little, put a little hitch on the back and put something <laughs> on there to carry your stuff. Cause we talked about how we both like that. Um, oh, and in addition to the offer thing, there's 8.3 inches of ground clearance. If you think about the ground clearance in most crossovers and especially most little crossover EVs, that's pretty good. You can crawl over some pretty decent stuff. Um, it's got a night, it has two infotainment systems. So your base trim gets an eight inch screen. Um, the rest of it gets a 12.3 inch screen. That's like, you know, gives you that much more upscale vibe. You get wireless Apple CarPlay, you get, you know, an Android auto the interior is comfortable and it has that very typical Subaru-ness where you feel like if your dog jumps in with muddy paws, you're not going to have a panic attack because you just ruined your interior. Or if your kids step across the seats as kids are wont to do, again, you're not going to destroy this interior. It's rugged enough to feel like it's going to it's going to hold up to some some actual real world living and that it doesn't, doesn't just look pretty in a showroom. Um, as far as range... You've got the range is like it, it, it's not great. You get um, 222 miles per charge, except for the base trim, which gets 228. So you get an extra uh, eight, seven, six miles. <laughs> Math is hard. So, is there are they offering a front drive version, a single motor front drive version of the Solterra? All wheel drive, all wheel okay. drive, all wheel drive, all wheel drive. So, you don't get a front motor because that's you do get that in the BZ. Yeah, the BZ4X, you can get a front front drive only version. So if you go with the BZ4X, your all-wheel drive, you're going to be the same. But if you want more range, you can get the BZ4X with front-wheel drive, and then you're going to increase your range by a chunk. So that might be like that not might be. That is the downside here. If you want a range, but still, like, here's the thing, guys. Like, the EV range is such a tricky thing for people to get used to because the numbers are lower than what your gas tank can hold and because charging stations aren't everywhere. But 
how often realistically do most people drive 222 miles or 228 miles in a single day? You don't. Rarely. Rarely, unless you are honest to goodness on a road trip. You are not driving that far in a day. So for 99% of your day-to-day life, you're going to only need to charge this at home. You could plug in it at home. You can take advantage of a charger out there in the real world if you want, but you don't actually need it to. Um, so you're going to be fine at home. The only time this ever going to become an issue is if you're doing a road trip, you do need to stop and you do need to plan out your charging a little bit uh, because you're not going to get the same kind of range that you're going to get in vehicles, either like a front wheel drive, which increases your range or just have like a long range battery or just even their standard battery that might be a longer range than this. Um, so I, I, I want to say that's the, 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 the most challenging thing about this, but I do like this vehicle. I like this better than the BZ4X because I felt like it just, it, it had a better feel. It looked nicer. It looked more cohesive that what I called before that Subaru-ness where you feel like it's rugged, where it still feels like a Subaru. It still feels like it's stand up to that stuff. And I am really glad that they let us take this genuinely onto some driving on dirt trails because it did it and it did it really, really well. I was very impressed with it. Yeah. One, one downside of the all wheel drive version uh, mm-hmm. You know, we talked about this before with the with the the Toyota. They they actually have two different batteries for the front wheel drive and the all wheel drive. They're almost the same capacity. They're one is like seventy one point four, the other one's seventy two point eight, I think, mm-hmm. um, for the all wheel drive. But they're from different suppliers. <clears throat> they have slightly different chemistries. And the Panasonic battery in the front wheel drive Toyotas can be charged at up to one hundred and fifty kilowatts. The CATL battery in the all-wheel drive models only does 100 kilowatts. Yeah. So, getting a charge, you know, uh, in the in the front-wheel drive, you can charge up to from nothing to or near nothing to 80 percent in about 30 minutes. But in the all-wheel drive, it takes closer to an hour. Yeah, the number they gave us for the Subaru was specifically 56 minutes from 10 to 80% at a DC fast charger. If you're doing a level yeah. two charger in your house, it's going to take nine hours. So yeah. You know, and and that's, you know, that's fairly right. typical, but I mean, yeah. that's something you do it overnight. Right. You know, if you're plugging and so overnight, if you're, if you're, you're at home, deal. yeah. If you're at home, you're probably not doing a full charge anyway. I mean, exactly. You know, 80, 80 plus percent of all daily driving is less than 40 miles a day. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you plug it in when you get home, you probably schedule it, you know, to not start charging until it, your local utility switches to off peak rates. Right. And yeah. it'll probably be fully charged in, you know, hour, hour and a half, mm-hmm. you know. <clears throat> but yeah, that taking an hour to get to 80%, roughly an hour, like that's, that's a long time if you've got 800 miles you're trying to go today or something, you know, yep. if you've a long distance drive, that is, that is a lot of stopping. I mean, you can stop and you can have lunch or whatever, but you don't want to stop and have lunch every, every 200 miles. <laughs> yeah. You know, it, you know, you, you might, you might need a, a bio break, but you know, that yeah. takes you five, 10 minutes. Right. You're not going to get very much. Just plug it in for 15 minutes where you go to use the bathroom, get yourself a coffee. You know, that's, it's just, you can do that. You can keep topping off and that'll make it, you know, a little bit longer. You can go before you have to full on say, okay, we got to charge this puppy up. But um, that is the drawback. So, you know, if you're someone who is doing a lot of long distance road trips in your, in your Subaru Solterra, if you're considering it, then the range is something to consider a little more carefully because it's, but if it's, oh, every once in a while, then maybe it's not the big a deal. Yeah. It, compared to, 
a number of the competitors, you know, in this compact crossover segment, you know, that 222 miles is a little disappointing. Yeah, exactly. Especially like the, the VW ID four, right. Uh, it's, you know, 260, 270 miles now. I think they upgraded it. Yeah. Yes, they did. They got a little bump this year. So you yeah. get even more in the ID four than you did before. I had to write a bunch of comparison stories versus this versus, you know, the Yonic five and the EV six and, and like, consistently it's like oh gosh the range oh gosh the charging time like this just does not match up you know it's yeah, yeah the, rear, the rear drive ionic 5 and ev6 are over 300 miles right and even the all-wheel drive versions are um 270 miles so it's a so. big difference you know it's day-to-day does not matter for 99 percent of us yeah. but if you're someone who road trips a lot then suddenly it does yeah all right um so there is a third model coming in the next few months off of the same ETNGA platform uh, that they use for the BZ4X and the, the Solterra. That is the Lexus RZ450, um, which was shown off this week. And um, what do you, th- you know, this one, like the Subaru, is only available in an uh, all wheel drive form. Um, Aside from the styling differences, the other main difference between this and the, the BZ4X and the Solterra is they're using a different combination of motors. So one, one of the things that's a little peculiar on the Toyota, the front-wheel drive version of the Toyota is 201 horsepower, um, single motor. Um, and then on the all-wheel drive, they actually use two lower-power motors, um, with one of them, uh, they're, they're both the same size. Uh, let me find it here now. Um, they're, uh, they add up to two, I think 214 horsepower, okay. uh, on the, on the, uh, Subaru um, yeah. or on, on the, on the all wheel drive versions of the Subaru and the, and the Toyota. Um, so what they've done is they took the front motor from the single, the, the, the front motor from the front wheel drive, BZ4X and combined it with one of the rear motors from the Solterra and BZ4X. So now you have about 300 horsepower total. <laughs> Frankenstein combination of everything. Well, again, I mean, this, this is the beauty of EVs. It's easy to mix and match these parts yeah. to give you, you know, depending on the traits you want for a specific model, mm-hmm. you know, the, the Lexus is, you know, a more upscale, more premium model. It's going to be more yeah. expensive. Uh, so, you know, you want to, you know, just set it apart from the other two, you know, so you give it, you know, half again as much power uh, and, uh, you know, it works out okay. It'll be interesting to see how, how that translates once you get behind the wheel, you know. I think that's yeah. great to give it a little more oomph. And it, it's, yeah. like you said, it suits, it suits the Lexus brand. It makes sense for these guys. Now, one, <clears throat> one interesting detail, you know, one, one of the things we've seen some pictures of on the BZ4X, from Japan that they're not offering here is a yoke style steering wheel. Um, like you have on the, the Tesla model S plaid. Are they doing this in the Lexus? It's going to be available on the Lexus. Uh, is there um, on, on the Toyota, they're only, they're only offering it in Japan. And I, I suspect that they're the, the way they're doing it on the toy on the Lexus is it's part of a package with a steer by wire system. So instead of having a mechanical connection between, you know, there's a, a steering column that goes from your steering wheel all the way down to your steering rack. Um, and when you turn the wheel, there's, it's mechanically turning the, the steering rack. 
uh, and moving the wheels. This, there's no mechanical connection there. It's, it's a steer by wire. And one of the problems with the Model S Plaid with that ridiculous yoke is that they still have a mechanical steering system, which means, you know, if you're trying to do tight maneuvers in a parking lot or somewhere, or, you know, trying to counter steer, if you're starting to slide uh, and you've got to do some overhand, you know, hand over hand steering, it's a real pain to do that with that yoke. Mm -hmm. But on the, um, on the RZ, uh, they are, it has only 150 degrees lock to lock. So it, it actually dynamically changes the steering ratio depending on your conditions. So at lower speeds, uh, you know, you'll, you know, for a given amount of steering angle, uh, it will actually turn the wheels a lot more. So when you're maneuvering in parking lots, um, or higher speeds, it'll be a lot less. So it's a, changing the steering ratio, uh, based on the conditions. And, but the overall, you know, from one, one extreme to the other is only 150 degrees of rotation. So you'll never do the hand over hand right. steering, you know, so it's more like a formula one car. I'll be interesting to see how well received this is by the average human. Yeah, uh, it's uh, gonna probably gonna take a little getting used to. Because first the, you're putting uh, them in an EV, one level yeah. of, of of change and discomfort. Now you're giving them a fancy pants steering wheel to they're like, no, too much at once. <laughs> yeah. So uh, I think we'll probably be learning more about this. Uh, Toyota is doing an event in early June. And mm -hmm. uh, uh, I'm calling Toyota Palooza. It's like four days or something. Toyota Palooza version two. Toyota, yes, Toyota Palooza part two. Yeah. Uh, so I'm, I'm going to go to that as well. And so that, uh, hopefully we'll learn more about this we'll one see you there. Uh, there. Yeah. Um, all right. Uh, I think that's it for the topics. Uh, we got a few questions to answer. Let's start off with, uh, one from team engineering first, um, since it relates back to the Solterra. Okay. Um, team engineering asks, uh, do you think more companies are going to start ending their performance versions like Subaru did with the STI's emissions restrictions get tougher? Uh, and what can companies like Subaru do when making AV, making EV versions of their performance cars like the STI to stand out? Uh, All-wheel drive isn't that unique anymore in the EV world or high power levels. I think, it, you know, there's, there's two things to make any car, performance car otherwise. One is the styling and the, you know, how does it look? How does it feel? But the drive is more than just how much, how fast it accelerates, which is the big deal in an EV. If it doesn't handle well, if you feel like it gets away from you during that hard acceleration, if you feel like it doesn't have the capability to do what they say it's going to do off-road if it's an off-road vehicle, it has to drive smoothly, handle the right way. Those are where your differentiators are. It has to, you know, which honestly in an STI before, it was, you still had a performance car with lots of horsepower, but if it had handled like crud, nobody would have liked it. You know, they made it handle a specific way. I think you can still cause, create those same differentiators even in EVs. And that's what it's going to come down to. Yeah, I, I agree. You know, uh, certainly, you know, performance is not going away. You know, we're, <laughs> Tesla has, has proven quite conclusively that, you know, there is no disconnect between electrification and performance. Yeah. Um, so we'll, we'll have plenty of performance models. Um, you know, Internal combustion performance models like the STI, um, you know, there's going to be fewer and fewer of those. Although I think, you know, what we will have is, um, you know, 
manufacturers using electrification, using hybridization to enhance performance on their remaining internal combustion vehicles, uh, at least over the next decade, uh, mm-hmm. before those fade away as well. Um, but uh, yeah, you'll you'll definitely have performance additions. So yeah, I agree. All right. Um, Coach Cabrera asked, how long before solid-state batteries make their way into cars? Will they be more efficient and affordable? Uh, it says, uh, I got to drive the BMW i4M model, but I think I would lean towards the E40 um, ver- rear-wheel drive version due to affordability. Thoughts? So as far as the um, solid-state batteries, um, I think potentially one of the first production applications we're actually going to see is in 2025. Toyota has said they're going to start launching hybrid or uh, solid state batteries, but they're not going to be in EVs. They're going to be in hybrids. Because one of the challenges that a lot of companies are, have been facing, it's been a consistent challenge with, uh, EV, uh, with uh, solid state development is um, scaling up production. You know, it's, they can make small batches, you know, for testing purposes. Um, but doing uh, high volume production is still a problem. And so, you know, because hybrids have much smaller batteries than EVs, uh, I guess Toyota's figured out, well, we can do enough to put them in some hybrid models. So we'll do that and gain real world experience with them. And then the other, you know, the other advantage to that is because it's hybrid, you know, if they do have a problem, it's probably not going to strand people. You know, they can, the vehicles will still be able to move even if there's a challenge with the battery. So that, um, I think that's the, the direction that we're going to see uh, near term, mm-hmm. um, you know, and then probably somewhere around the 26, 27, 28 timeframe is when you'll start seeing solid state batteries making their way into battery electric vehicles, you know, larger solid state batteries. And, mm-hmm. you know, again, it'll probably be on lower volume, you know, probably more premium models first. Um, you know, they should be safer, um, more robust. That is, you know, one of the the key selling points of solid state batteries, you know, because you don't have the electro, the, the liquid electrolyte in there, it should be more stable. Um, and they should be able to hopefully withstand a lot more charge cycles and charge faster. Uh, but we'll, we'll see, um, you know, a lot of this is still unproven. Um, but you know, a lot of companies, including BMW, um, are investing in solid state technology, solid state technology, BMW and Ford are both invested in a company called solid power, based in Colorado. Uh, and uh, they're, they're doing some interesting stuff and we'll, they're supposed to start testing those in vehicles this year. They're supposed to get large format battery uh, cells that, they, that they're going to put into vehicles for testing this year. So we'll, hopefully by the end of the year, we'll have a better idea of how well they really work. Uh, and then on the I-4, um, yeah, I, I don't disagree. I mean, you know, the, the rear drive base I-4, 335 horsepower, lots of torque. Um, you know, the, the M50 is 536 with even more torque, but, um, you know, even the rear drive model, you've got plenty of performance there. It's still zero to 60 and five and a half seconds, according to BMW. And it's actually got more, more range than the all wheel drive M50. So yeah, I mean, if, if you like it, go for it. Yeah, I agree. Pretty much everything Sam said, and he's, he's got more (laughs) details on this one than I do, but yeah, spot on. All right, uh, Gupta AJ asks: When it comes to battery tech, is GM Ford or GM Ford comparable? Should the average consumer take into consideration when making a choice between the Silverado EV or F one fifty Lightning? Uh, well, to the the second part of that, no. Um, I mean, you're not. Yeah, you know, 
that's not you're you're not going to have an option of which batteries are in any given vehicle. Right. So you know, base it on you know the other attributes of the vehicle. You know, is it the right size? Does it have the right capabilities for you? Is it the right price point? Make your decisions based on that and whatever is in there. Um, there's a lot of similarities between what GM and Ford are doing on batteries. Um, they're all, they and most other manufacturers are using large format pouch cells. Um, right now on the, the Mach-E, for example, G, Ford is still using LG uh, cells, which are what GM's using. Uh, but they're, the LG cells are, that Ford's using are similar chemistry to what's in the, the Chevy Bolt, which is nickel manganese cobalt, uh, or NMC. Uh, but GM's new Altium cells um, reduce the amount of cobalt and uh, add aluminum in there, which should help reduce the cost um, and make it more sustainable. Um, but Ford is, for, starting with the Lightning, is uh, switching over to SK as their supplier. Um, and there's still pouch cells, you know, so there's a lot of similarity, but um, you know, there, there are some variations from one manufacturer to another. I think, you know, when you're looking at something like that, it's not like the technology is so vastly different between what one company versus the next is using. There's small, there's small detail differences. You know, there are differences, but I don't think it's a difference enough that it should, as a consumer, like, well, I got to stay away from GZM or I got to stay away from Ford. Look more at the overall vehicle. Like what Sam said, it's the vehicle that you're getting. Does it do everything else that you needed to do? It's probably got electric tech in there. That's fine. Um, but so don't get too overwhelmed by is, is theirs better today because then tomorrow something else changes and the next guy's better. You know, it's always evolving. I'd look at the overall vehicle. Yeah. The one, the one thing to keep in mind, um, you know, especially over the next couple of years, we are going to start seeing more vehicles that are using, you know, right now, most EVs are using, uh, called nickel rich chemistries. So it's mostly nickel that's in, in these lithium ion batteries, um, from GM, Ford, Tesla, uh, everybody else, um, because it's got higher energy density. But we're going to start seeing vehicles, EVs coming to market that have lithium iron phosphate batteries, which um, have both benefits and downsides compared to the nickel cells. Um, the iron phosphate are really durable. They're really stable. Um, you know, they will do thousands of charge cycles as opposed to eight to 900 charge cycles for a nickel battery. Um they're uh, they're also cheaper, um, but they have about a third less energy density. Uh, so Tesla has now uh, started using um, iron phosphate batteries, LFP batteries, in both the model the standard range versions of the Model Three and the Model Y. Uh, they've been using them in China for a number of years now for the standard range versions, and now the standard range Model Three. Um, that they sell in North America and globally, actually, is using the same LFP batteries. Um, the Model Y in China is using LFP. They haven't launched that in North America yet. They probably will uh, in the next year, mm -hmm. I think, you know, probably sometime this year. They'll probably launch a lower-cost standard-range version of the Model Y uh, with the LFP cells. And, you know, those, you know, they don't go quite as far. You know, so I think the, the model three is like two, that's a 260 mile or 250 mile range version. Uh, but it's a lot cheaper. Um, and you're going to see a lot more vehicles that offer standard range versions with LFP, um, you know, to, to make them more cost effective. Yep. All right. Um, let's go to James Gardner. Um, 
when when does Sam take his snows off? Yeah, it literally wrote red that it's shoes. And I was like, what? I'm like, oh, snow is not shoes. <laughs> <laughs> so um, on my Miata, I don't put snow tires on it because I don't drive it in the winter because I don't want to expose it to salt. Um, but uh, my daughter's uh, Toyota 86, I took off the uh, winter tires uh, a week and a half ago. Um, and yeah, the upper 30s to 40 um, you know, is probably a, a good, good, th- that's about the right threshold. Generally summer tires, you know, um, you know, below 40 degrees is where they, they start to feel a little hard and slippery. Um, and so that's, that's a, that's a good rule of thumb is, you know, as long as the, or at least the temperatures in which you're going to be driving yeah. are, uh, are consistently over 40. I, that's it. When I, tire rack guys who, man, if you ever question about tires, call someone at tire rack, those guys know oh, their stuff. Yeah. And, um, They'd always will tell you, you know, consistently above 40 degrees, but it's not a hard and fast rule. I live in New Hampshire. I took my snows off of my charger probably about two weeks ago, Sam. So same. I took it in. I had to get my car inspected, took the snows off, had to put all seasons on. Do we still have temps that are occasionally here dropping below 40? Yep. But not for very long, you know, and an all season tire can still function. Even a snow tire can, but you know, the temperature's climbing up above 40 most days you're probably good because you're never going to peg it perfectly. But yeah, I normally tend to do it in April where I am in the Northeast could still get a blizzard tomorrow. <laughs> we'll yeah. Deal with it. <laughs> well, we, we, we had snow here. We had about an inch of snow here on Monday yep. um, just before I flew out to LA. So, yeah. So you never know, like until June, you're not clear, I think for either samurai, but I, I feel like, you know, April for us. So when the temperatures are mostly above 40, especially during the day, cause I'm not, you know, generally driving at five o'clock in the morning when they're still really, really cold, but mostly above 40, which is this time of year. Yeah. All right. Uh, Sean Whitehurst asked, um, hello, Wheelbearings crew. There was a question about battery health in older EVs. Uh, the 2014 Leaf has a health display. Mine is down two bars. Uh, keep up the good work. Um, I, uh, P.S. I <laughs> had to leave in keep Jeep. Uh, misspelling. He actually so said keep, keep up, the, up good the good work. Yeah, with a J. Which, which I think, you know, given that we were talking about Jeep earlier, yeah, is, keep you know, up it's fine. the good work. Yeah, yeah. that should be a thing. Um, so, uh, you know, battery health, um, most EVs uh, batteries are actually holding up better than had been anticipated because when they were developed, you know, they put a lot of effort into the battery management system to try to make sure that they weren't overcharging the batteries, uh, trying to manage the the temperatures well, which are the things that tend to degrade the battery over time. Um, The one exception that has had some challenges with with battery health is the LEAF uh, because it's pretty much the only one that's been sold in any significant volume with an air-cooled battery. Mm-hmm. Uh, and even Nissan is moving away from air cooled to liquid cooled batteries with the starting with the Aria this year. Um, so the, the leaf has had some challenges, especially if you live in very hot climates, like if you live in Arizona, uh, early, especially the first few years, they had a lot of problems with battery degradation. Um, you know, most are fine. Um, you, you can, you can get them tested, uh, get the battery tested. So if you're thinking about buying a used EV, uh, and I think this is something I think we might have talked about last week with uh, mm-hmm. with Robbie. Um, Mannheim Auctions is actually doing this now uh, with all the EVs that go through their auction system. They, you know, with all all their all the vehicles that they put through their auction system, they do a, a whole series of inspections and they put together a report for you know the dealers that are buying the vehicles. Um, and they now have a specific 
suite of tests that they run on EVs to test the battery health. Um, so, you know, if you're, if you're thinking about buying an EV and it hasn't been tested, you can certainly take it to a dealer and have it evaluated um, yeah. and, uh, you know, see you know, what kind of condition the battery's in. And if, if it has degraded by more than about 15, maybe 20%, I'm not sure how many bars in total are on the, the leaf. Yeah, it was down two bars. Thing. Is that like two out of five or two out of ten? You know. Yeah, I think it. I think it's ten bars is what they have, but I'm not sure. Um, but you know, if if you're thinking about buying a used EV, you know, get the go ahead and get the battery tested and see how much capacity is in there. Okay, according to this Google search I did, if it's correct, it says there's twelve bars. Twelve. Okay. So down about fifteen percent then. Okay. You know, on the on that EV, if you're down two bars. So that's not too bad, you know, on an eight-year-old leaf. Yeah. Although that eight-year-old leaf only had, what, 76 miles of range to begin with. So. Well, it was 2014. Yeah. You know, I, I still, you know, you got to get contact. Again, I mean, if you, if you only drive 10, 15 miles a day, still fine. It's totally got you covered. Yeah. yeah. All right. Last one uh, for today from Tim Martin. Um, I'm in the process of selecting an affordable electric plug-in car. I'm looking at the VW e-Golf, BMW i3, and Honda Clarity. Uh, I have about a 10-mile round-trip commute and have an Acura RDX for trips and family stuff. I was wondering what you all would recommend and if I'm missing anything. Uh, I'm looking for something with good handling and fun to drive uh, during commuting and dropping off at daycare. Uh, previous vehicles, uh, 2013 VW Jetta uh, Sport Wagon TDI, uh, 20, 2007 Acura TSX, uh, 2003 Honda Pilot, 2003 VW Beetle TDI, and a 91 Infiniti Q45. So got some interesting tastes in cars, yeah. uh, having owned that first-generation Q45. Um, so, um, I mean, I would go with the Golf, the E-Golf. Yeah. yeah if you, if you can get I a good deal on an E-Golf. That's, yeah, from the ones you put there, and also fun to drive. Like, yeah, I like the. I would go e golf. Yeah, the the clarity and it's kind of fugly. Uh, it's not really attractive. It's not really fun. No, um, the the i three is actually pretty cool too. Um, you know, it, it it drives pretty well. It's not quite as much fun to drive as an e golf, uh, but uh, but it, it's it's pretty nice too. Um, and it's it's different. It's unique. If you're, if you're looking for something unique, uh, but yeah. I, I would say the e-golf should be your first, uh, first choice there. Yeah. I'm with you, Sam. I doesn't even looking at that list e-golf. Do you think there's anything he's forgetting or leaving off? Uh, definitely worth taking a look at a Fiat 500 E. Mm. You can find one. It's in the same uh, ballpark. Yeah. Yeah. You can get some really good deals. It's a little bit less range than the e-golf, but you know, he says he's only miles, driving 10 miles trip, a day. Round trip. Dude, yeah. Walk to work. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Get a, get a bicycle. Uh, get an e-bike. There you go. He, actually, e-bike. That's what we should recommend. Although, go find an e-bike, Tim. Yeah. Um, let's, see, uh, let's see. Looking for something with good handling and fun to drive during commuting and dropping off at daycare. So, okay. dropping off at daycare kind of takes out the the bike out of the. And you put one of the, well, depending no, on where you live. Thing you can put the little basket thing on yeah, the back. Yeah, you, you get, know, get a little ready? trailer. You can get you those little trailers that. for the kids. That exactly. kids love those. That will be amazing. You'd be the coolest yeah. at a drop off. So, so if you, if you live somewhere warm, uh, go for an e-bike with a trailer and put, put the kid in there. Um, otherwise go for the e-golf Yes, yeah, or, or a 500 E 500 E is also an excellent choice. Two great choices. Yes. Yeah. All right. And that's it for this week. That's it. Thank you all for joining us and uh, we'll be back next time. See ya. Bye. 
Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. At Highland, we're all about celebrating little wins and little ways to innovate digital processes. There's no customer pain point too small for us to help with. Maybe that's why more than half of the Fortune 100 looks to Highland to connect their content and data, improve processes, and turn little efficiencies into big wins for their customers and clients. Highland, intelligent content solutions for innovators everywhere at highland.com.